1997, a book was published that would change pop culture forever and lead to a film franchise that would surpass the James Bond, X-Men, Jurassic Park, and Lord of the Rings franchises with a global box office total gross of $9.2 billion. It would also turn recently divorced single mother and welfare recipient J.K. Rowling into the world's first billionaire author. The book was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which would be published in the United States as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Rowling wrote seven books in the Harry Potter series, as well as a follow-up stage play, a prequel film series, and numerous online supplemental character and story info on her website, Pottermore. Today, on our eighth Weird Shit Wednesday, we're taking a look back at the Harry Potter film franchise and the impact this series has had on pop culture as a whole, and on us personally as fans with very different perspectives and approaches to the work. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And you're taking a ride on the Filmgasm Express. Welcome to our 40th episode, and that means it's Weird Shit Wednesday, where we take a break from dissecting individual films and take a look at the larger topic, such as an entertainer's career, or in this case, a dive into a popular film franchise. Harry Potter has had such a monumental effect on my life personally, and is in many ways mostly responsible for molding me into the geeky lover of pop culture that I am today. But first, let's get into the rewind, where we look back at past episodes in search of nifty little updates. First, I've got an update on episode 10, Roman Polanski. He just keeps popping up in film news lately due to another accusation of rape. In fact, he's canceled a planned lecture at Lotz Film School in Poland after students and employees launched a petition against him. The petition said, quote, Like any other educational institution, our film school should be the place where sexual violence is condemned. The school's rector defended his decision to invite Polanski, saying that the school owes him a debt of gratitude. What are your thoughts on this? Are you surprised? No. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> just keep stacking them up there, buddy. Yeah, just why would anybody reach out at this point? I mean, that's just bringing, you know, more shit upon yourself. Yeah. Of course people are going to protest that, especially in this climate. I, I know, man. Jesus. And like less than, what, two weeks after a fresh accusation? Exactly. Dude, you're an idiot. The rector of that school is an idiot. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Well, what a, what a sloppy, messy Polanski just life. He's gonna be. We're gonna be talking about Roman Polanski forever. He's gonna always be in the news with something. Yes. The guy just can't keep it in his pants. He's a fucking monster. <sighs> Next, an update on bonus episode seven, Young Guns. I watched Young Guns too, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was considerably more cheesy and a lot less tight, but I thought the characters were great and never lost my interest. I gave it a seven out of ten. Beautiful. You've uh, you've seen Young Guns too, right? Correct. Yeah. You a fan? Yeah, yeah, I am. It's been it's been quite some time. Of course, I've seen Young Guns a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I what you said, I would just I, that's exactly where I remember it. A <laughs> little, little bit more cheesy, not like you said, not as uh, not as focused, not as tight, not as you know on the edges. There, it's just a little, not a little, little more forgettable, you know. In the first one. It was cool to see Christian Slater join the cast. Uh, yes, I was about to bring that up. I yeah. do I do love Christian Slater, especially 80s, 90s Christian Slater. Oh, yeah, before he burned all those bridges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love him in Mr. Robot, that, that show in USA. He's great in that. But. He'll always be Clarence Worley to me. <laughs> True yeah. romance. Yeah. And uh, it was cool to see William Peterson as Pat Garrett. I love that story of, you know, friend turned enemy. And uh, 
Yeah, I thought that it took some liberties with with history, but so did the first one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, so so is Scorsese with the Irishman. So yeah, you. <laughs> I mean, you get that awesome Bon Jovi song, "Blaze of Glory," nominated yes. for an Oscar. Yes. And isn't that really enough? I think it's enough. <laughs> Agreed. Finally, an update on our recent episode 39, The Serpent and the Rainbow. We forgot to add in our final scores at the end of that one. We did. So let's go ahead and do that now. I would give that film an 8. Yeah, solid 8. We, we said that after we stopped recording. I was like, oh, shit. We didn't really, uh, <laughs> yeah, but we both give it an 8. Yeah, solid yeah. movie. We're only human, and that's why we have the rewind, so we can fix our fuck-ups. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> now, on to Potter. Let's start by talking about our personal connections to the series. I own first edition hardcovers of all seven books, a Blu-ray set of all eight films, and I have a wand that I purchased at Universal Studios Orlando. When I was about two, my mom would read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone uh, to me to help teach me how to read, and I knew immediately that it was a story that would never leave my heart. I remember counting down the days to the release of the last book and going to Borders Bookstore with my dad to buy it. I read it in three days, never putting it down, and I adored it. To this day, I still adore it. The films were the same way. I saw the first one when I was six, and it blew me away. It became something I looked forward to every year for ten years. I always saw them with my mom, except for Order of the Phoenix. I saw that with my grandpa and my cousins. But I got to experience the whole franchise in real time, because I grew up with it. I saw the last one when I was 16, feeling the weight of all that buildup on my shoulders. And I wouldn't have it any other way. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) I, too, own the exact same set of books. the, uh, The hardcover, first edition. I, too, own the Blu-ray set of all the films, but I did not see the first movie in theaters. I did not read the first book when it came out. Uh, I read the books five years ago. Ah. I was, uh, so that would make me, let's see, yeah, it was 2014, so yeah, I was 19 years old when I bought the books and read them all. It took me about a couple years, but it was because of the films, because of my good buddy, Kelly Gutierrez. Uh, he's obsessed with them. Uh, you, you and him are the biggest fans of this franchise that I know. He has a Deathly Hallows tattoo. Oh wow! Uh, he has a wand. You know, he, yeah, he's 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 obsessed. He's you know he's really into it. This is a guy that does not read, doesn't get that you know that into films like we do, but he's obsessed with Harry Potter. So when I was hanging out with him, we'd be we'd be playing video games, and he'd be like, "Man, I, I, you know, I want to watch Potter," and I'm like. Never really got into it, you know. Uh, my cousins would watch it. I remember uh, Rosie, Mary, and Patrick. Uh, they're my cousins from Arizona. Anytime like they'd be in town, they always had those those like like the VHSs with them when like they for you know first couple. Yeah. And watch them like all the goddamn time. And my older brothers and I were just like kind of like mm, you know, okay, I guess we just didn't really dive into it. And so I just kind of put it on the shelf, you know. It was just nothing nothing to me essentially. I knew it was this huge. Huge success, obviously, but it's, I never dove, you know, I never got into it until I was 19 years old. <laughs> and I watched all the films with my buddy Kelly over like a weekend, you know. Uh, we did a marathon. He had just torn his ACL, so he was kind of off, you know, just doing nothing. What better way to, you know, yeah. kill some time than, you know, watch all eight Harry Potter films? Uh, immediately, I was like, I, I, I want to get the books. Um, so that was my first time watching them all the way through. I had seen. The only one I saw in theaters was Half-Blood Prince. That was because I was in New Mexico at a family reunion and wrote my cousins Rosie, Patrick, and Mary, like, 
took us to it. Like, let's go. You guys would like will really enjoy this, even if you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I did. It was a good movie. It's a solid. It's a well done movie. I, I was a little like, whoa, holy shit, you know, Dumbledore. Whoa, I thought he was a big character. He is. <laughs> but think about that. My perspective is is um, not cool. You know, it's not good. It really it really sucks that I missed out on it as a kid. But uh, I also have uh, my imagination is pretty. I like to think that it's pretty broad still, and um, I, I adore it. I like love it, even though I found it, even though I found it at 19, uh, when it's you know children's books, you know those first couple, and children's movies those first couple, and then it gets you know it gets intense. It starts getting intense later on. Uh, Voldemort's a pretty evil character. Yeah. <laughs> um, the stakes do get pretty high later on, and uh, I, I think it's I think it's brilliant. Like I think it's awesome storytelling. And uh, we're going to talk about the movies mostly today. Yes. But the books are awesome, man. They're they're so easy, easy to read. It's one of the easiest fucking page turners. Just bop, bop, bop. Yeah. And uh, J.K. just, I just you know, found a, a timeless story that's going to be around. Like Connor said, it changed pop culture. Um, and I've been aware of that. I just caught on late, you know. Yeah. And uh, I want to admit that now, of course. Uh, my perspective is way different than Connor's. Uh, Connor, as a child, you probably were like, Fuck Voldemort. This guy's the evil. But to me, I'm 19, and I'm like, I really like this actor, you know? So I'm kind of inclined to, like, I'm not really rooting for anybody. I don't care. You know, I'm I'm 19 years old. I'm not like, go Harry, you know? Yeah. When you're a kid, you're, you're, you kind of take sides. So it's just different. It's just different the way we've watched. But we both both love it. Yes. Um, yes, we do. You had... You had Deathly Hollows Part Two as number two in your um, my top ten top of the twenty tens. Yeah, we just released that you know not too long ago. So, uh, yeah, it's very important to you uh, and very important to me in different ways. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited to talk about. It. I actually I chose this. <laughs> yeah, this was your pick. I was like, hey, I think this would. I think the winter is a good time. I think a lot of a lot of things in Harry Potter ha- happen to happen in the winter. Here's here's Christmas break, and then crazy shit happens at the end of the year, you know. <laughs> I just think the winter just, I don't know, I just have, the, I, I get that Harry Potter vibe, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited, man. Let's do this. Kick ass, alright. Let's get into this. So, according to J.K. Rowling herself, the idea for Harry Potter first manifested in 1990 while she was on a train from Manchester to London. In her own words, quote, I had been writing almost continuously since the age of six, but I had never been so excited about an idea before. I simply sat and thought for four delayed train hours, and all the details bubbled up in my brain, and this scrawny, black-haired, bespectacled boy who did not know he was a wizard became more and more real to me. That's pretty amazing. It's incredible. Talk about I it. looked yeah. that up, because I was like, how the hell... That's divine intervention. That's a spark of, the spark it, of God right there. Literally, it's lightning. <laughs> Which is funny, you know? It's like yeah. a lightning bolt. She completed the manuscript for the first book in 1995, and she got a literary agent on her second entry. And as a writer, that pisses me off so much. Is I've been at this for a while trying to get an agent. You know, it's tough. And she got it on her second try. I mean, yeah, it's an amazing book, but <laughs> still, man. I mean, come on. God damn it. After <laughs> after eight publisher rejections, uh, Bloomsbury offered her twenty five hundred pounds, a little over thirty two hundred U.S. The publishers initially targeted kids about nine nine to twelve years old. And right before they published the book, she was told to adopt a gender-neutral pen name so as not to alienate any young boys who might be put off by the fact that the book was written by a woman. Which is pretty fucked up. Extremely fucked up. Thus, Joanne Rowling became J.K. Rowling, adopting her grandmother's middle name Kathleen since she does not have a middle name. And 
that's really messed up. That the really publishers sad. told her, like, look, no boy is going to read this book if they think a woman wrote it. What's what her real fuck? name? What, how do you... Joanne Rowling. I'm just going to start calling calling her that. Joanne. Joanne. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's her name? Yeah, it is. <laughs> she did, She wasn't given a name, yeah. a middle name at birth. So. J.K. Rowling does not exist. <laughs> yeah. That's so messed up. I actually didn't know that. That's really twisted. Yes. Yes, it is. But, you know, she didn't have the clout to say no. Yeah. It was either say yes or lose everything. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was first published in the UK on June 25th, 1997. It was released in the US by Scholastic on September 1st, 1998, under the name Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, a regret of Rowling's. She would have fought to keep Philosopher's Stone as the official name, but she lacked the clout to pull that off at the time. Scholastic paid $105,000 for the American publishing rights, an amount unheard of for an unknown children's book author. They changed the title because they didn't think Americans knew what the hell a philosopher was. <laughs> and we're supposed to know what a sorcerer is? Uh, just, like, kids, they don't fucking know. Yeah. But the philosopher don't know. Like the philosopher's stone is a real like mythical artifact in yes. alchemy history. Yes. And that's why she used that. It yeah. makes sense. There is no sorcerer's stone. Sorcerer. I don't know. It's Americans. Obviously, the book was a massive success. And the sales of the subsequent six novels all broke sales records. The franchise is also credited with sparking young kids' interest in reading, as the series encouraged kids to read at a time where kids were believed to be losing interest in favor of video games and TV. This was later proven to be false, as despite the massive sales, adolescent reading continued to decline, and it still does today, which is really sad. As a kid, you know, I loved reading, I still love reading, and it breaks my heart when I find out people don't. Like, when I find people who just hate it. Yeah. It's so sad. Or, yeah, they just haven't found the right the right, the right, right stuff to read. That's what I tell them. Like, you just haven't found the right book yet. Because there's obviously plenty oh, out there. Yes. So much. In 1998, Warner Brothers purchased the film rights to the first two novels for a seven-figure sum. One of the few demands that Rowling insisted upon was that the cast be kept entirely British, with very few exceptions. Rowling was hesitant upon selling the rights because she didn't want to give Warner Brothers control over the direction of the story, which very well could have happened. If the right people hadn't been involved, they could have completely taken this away from her and fucked it all up. The film was originally offered to Steven Spielberg to direct, and his intentions were to make a single animated film with Haley Joel Osment voicing Harry Potter. He wanted to bring elements from the other books into the movie and make one hell of a magical clusterfuck. Reportedly... He didn't consider the project a challenge, and he left to direct AI instead. Taking Haley Joel with him, apparently. Thank Christ, because I think his movie would have been incredibly forgettable, and we would not be celebrating this the way we do today. Oh, no. We wouldn't be talking about it right now. Nope. No way. Chris Columbus was chosen to direct, thanks to his success with family films like Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. Columbus would direct the first two films and go on to fuck up the Percy Jackson series, by directing a terrible adaptation of The Lightning Thief, but that's for another time. Is that is that that one... Uh, I read that book, but... Uh, the kid the, who finds out he's like a, but, the son yeah, of a Greek god. But the film stars uh, Logan Lerman? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was trash. It was so bad. Yeah. They completely... There's more after that? They made two. Okay. They made so two movies. one more after that. Okay. Sea of Monsters, and they I fucked that up, too. That. He was in that one, too? Yeah. Jesus. It's one of my I missed f- that completely. It's so, one of my favorite book series. It was, I liked Lightning Thief. They were so good. 
And I was so looking forward to that movie. I was uh, I was so disappointed. I like Logan Lerman. I don't because of that. Steve Cloves was chosen to adapt the screenplay, and he would write every Potter film except Order of the Phoenix. Open casting was done to secure the three lead roles, Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, and of course, Harry Potter himself. Newcomers Rupert Grint and Emma Watson were cast as Ron and Hermione, and casting for Harry proved difficult. Columbus and Cloves saw 5,000 auditions, and none of them really clicked until Columbus watched the 1999 BBC miniseries David Copperfield, which co-starred 10-year-old Daniel Radcliffe in the role of young David. Columbus knew immediately that Radcliffe was the one to play Potter, but the boy's parents wanted him to focus on his schoolwork instead of acting, as they were worried about the attention he would get, which is usually the exact opposite of kids with like, actor kids with parents. <laughs> so they kept doing auditions, but Columbus had his heart set on Radcliffe, so it was no use. By sheer coincidence or divine intervention, Columbus and Cloves went to the theater and happened to run into Daniel Radcliffe and his father. They talked to him and successfully persuaded him to let Daniel play Harry Potter. The rest is history. So clearly he was meant to play Harry. Had to. Yeah. Let's talk about the massive cast of British thespians that came about in this franchise. Oh boy. Starting with the first film. 2001's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes. We'll start with the big three and where their careers went after Potter. Daniel Radcliffe's life was dominated by Potter for 10 years, and it's a franchise he will be connected with forever. After finishing the series, he became he, uh, he's become a sought-after indie character actor, appearing in films like The Woman in Black, Kill Your Darlings, Horns, Victor Frankenstein, Swiss Army Man, and Imperium. He set the star in the 2020 thriller Escape from Pretoria. And uh, of those, I've seen... Um, I like The Woman in Black. I thought he was great in Kill Your Darlings. Great I've in seen, I've seen all of those. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I really like him. Yeah. I haven't seen Swiss Army Man or Imperial. That's my favorite of all of those. <laughs> I like Woman in Black. Uh, I like Horns. I, I think all those are like solid. They're all pretty decent films. Victor know? Frankenstein was it's, it's all right. could have been better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. I was excited for it. Yeah. 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 I was a little... But I still... There's aspects of it I like. Yeah. And he's not the problem. No. You know? He's great with James McAvoy. I think they're both great in that. Yes. It's I just really not like a very him. well-written movie. And apparently, you know, Radcliffe's like a great like stage actor. Has yeah. Has good presence and whatnot, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Very talented guy. I'm excited for him. He's still young. Still young. <laughs> still an A-lister. Yeah. Because he was, he was so young when this happened, so. Emma Watson finished college after finishing Potter, graduating from Brown in 2014. She became a goodwill ambassador to the UN, promoting gender equality and empowerment for women around the world. Her film career has flourished, and she's arguably the most successful of the big three post-Potter. For sure. She appeared in My Week with Marilyn, The Bling Ring, This Is the End, Noah, Colonia, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and she played Belle in the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. She's, and she's going to be in Little Women. Yep, she's set right. to appear as Meg in Greta Gerwig's adaptation of Little Women, set for release later this month. And she is very talented. Extremely, I loved her in Colonia. That was such a freaky movie. I really, yeah, I really like Colonia. And I, I'm a big uh, Perks Being a Wallflower fan. I like that book, Chabosky. Yeah, it's a fun <laughs> movie. Her role in This Is the End was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> no one's putting out any rapey vibes. <laughs> Danny McBride, yeah. That is a funny scene. Mm -hmm. What a crazy movie. Yeah. I liked the live action Beauty and the Beast, I thought it was Me really good. Me too. People, I think it's one of my favorite ones of the, the recent. A lot yeah. people gave it shit, but I thought it was good. Uh, I, uh, man, Beauty and the Beast is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Props. I thought the singing could have been better. 
But, I mean, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So, Rupert Grint's film career never really took off that much, though he did find some success on the small screen. He was the lead in the Sky One series Sick Note, which ran for two seasons. He co-starred in a miniseries adaptation of the Agatha Christie classic The ABC Murders, alongside John Malkovich as Hercule Poirot. He has a lead role in the Apple original series Servant and a lead role on the Crackle TV show remake of Snatch, based on the Guy Ritchie film of the same name. So he's doing just fine. Yeah, he's working, you know. I don't know what any of these are, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't watched any of those. I don't plan to either. (laughs) No. But, you know, I'm I'm happy for him. Good for you, Rupert. He did this movie in 2016 called Moonwalkers with Ron Perlman. So weird. I haven't seen that. Ron Perlman is a CIA agent who's tasked with going to England to recruit Stanley Kubrick to direct the moon landing that they're planning to do. Like, they have an actual moon landing in progress, but they want to film a fake one in case that fails. Oh, and boy. Rupert Grint pretends to be Stanley Kubrick, and they make the moon landing, and eventually Perlman finds out it's not him, and he freaks out, but he has no way to finish. He has to finish this, or he's gonna. it's going to be his ass. It's a really weird movie, but it's entertaining. <laughs> oh, I have to check yeah. that out. Moonwalkers. <laughs> Moonwalkers. Oscar nominee Sir Richard Harris was cast as Albus Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harris was a highly respected actor who accepted the role at the insistence of his grandchildren. He was nominated for two Oscars in his career for his performances in 1963's This Sporting Life and 1990's The Field. He appeared in the 1967 movie musical Camelot as King Arthur, 1992's Unforgiven as English Bob, 2000's Gladiator as Emperor Marcus Aurelius, and in 2002's The Count of Monte Cristo as Abbe Faria, just to name a few. He would play Dumbledore in the first two films before dying in 2002 at age 72 of Hodgkin's disease. He was recast in the third film with Michael Gambon, who we will talk about in a bit. And I thought Richard Harris was great, but he wouldn't have worked for the later films. I know, and it's really... I'm not, I've never liked that, of course. It's never fun to uh, have like a switch in such a huge character. Yeah. Of course, you know, so sad that he passed. But yeah, I agree with you. I think it's not a miscast, but it's just like, ah. I think ah. that they should have taken his health into consideration. When exactly, they cast him. exactly. It's yeah. just like, well, let's really think about this. You know, This is an eight-film commitment. Yeah, a 10-year commitment. Yeah. Yeah, so. And he it's was, tough. Yeah. And Richard Harris was great, but, you know, like I said... The later films that involves Dumbledore to be a lot more active, I don't think it would have worked. Oh my gosh, like Half-Blood Prince, you know, in there, yeah. No. Come on. I don't see it. Yeah. Oscar winner Dame Maggie Smith was cast as Minerva McGonagall, Professor of Transfiguration at Hogwarts. Smith is another highly respected actress who has won two Oscars for her performances in 1969's The Prime of Miss Jean Brody and 1978's California Suite. She was also nominated for her roles in 1965's Othello, 1972's Travels with My Aunt, 1985's A Room with a View, and 2001's Gosford Park. She's won several Emmys and Golden Globes for her role for her role as Violet Crawley, Dowager Countess of Grantham on Downton Abbey, and she portrayed McGonagall in seven of the eight Potter films. And she's fucking great. Oh my god. Maggie Smith is a boss. Yes, Ma- Maggie. <laughs> Coward! Yeah, she's the best, man. Perfect. I love her. I adore that character, yeah. She was one of the two actors actors that uh, J.K. Rowling really, really wanted to get. The other was Robbie Coltrane. Yes. <laughs> well, there's just, there's certain people that you, 
once you kind of get in your head, you're like, oh, there's no yeah. one else. When you're writing, you know, I, I I write myself, and I have a few books that I've written, and when I'm writing them, I picture certain actors as the characters. And if I ever got the chance to have those actors play my characters, it'd be a dream of come course, true. Of I, I'm sure J.K. Rowling felt the same way. Well, yeah, and, and it just so happens that they, they hit on damn near every single role. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. There's very few, if any, miscasts in, yes. this, in this franchise. Yeah. Alan Rickman was cast as Severus Snape, professor of potions at Hogwarts. Rickman was a kind-hearted, beloved actor known for playing great villains in films like Die Hard, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Sweeney Todd. I personally loved him in Galaxy Quest. Yes. <laughs> Alexander Dane. He played Snape in all eight movies and tragically died in 2016 at age 69 of pancreatic cancer. He was a fantastic performer and seemed like a genuinely good soul. Nobody had a bad word to say about the guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Rest in peace. Oh, so heartbreaking. I mean, you know, Snape is this character that everybody seems to be on board. Everybody loves Snape. You know, he's he's so captivating. He is captivating. I We'll get to that because I, I have issues with Snape. Okay. I don't think he's a hero the way everybody seems to think. No. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on that. I just I, the character is fascinating. Yeah, it's just hard to not like be like, man, Snape. He's that guy. He's that dude. Alan Rickman, like, dude, every movie he was in, he shined. Well, yeah, he he makes he's one of the actors that makes uh, Sorcerer's Stone and uh, Chamber of Secrets watchable. Yeah, because there's aspects of it you're like, okay, this is pretty childish, and then he comes on, you're like, whoa, you know. Change the tempo real quick. Uh, Die Hard was his debut. Oh my god! Way to fucking bring it home. I mean, <laughs> yeah. goddamn Hans Gruber, one of the most iconic movie villains yeah. of all time. Well, just the yeah, the, the tone, the accent. Oh, it's just all perfect. <laughs> oh, so great. And again, you know, Sweeney Todd thought he was great as this evil, sadistic judge. Love him and Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah. He always delivered. He was so great. Pretty women. Tim Roth was offered the role before Alan Rickman, and he turned it down. I think because he didn't want to commit to a franchise. Good. That would have been weird. Tim Roth, I don't know. I think he would have been really good. I think Tim Roth would be better as, like, someone else, like, uh, even, like, Lupin or... I could see him playing, like, Lucius Malfoy. Oh, yeah. That would have been cool. I was like Tim Roth as a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Scottish actor Robbie Coltrane was cast as Rubius Hagrid, groundskeeper of Hogwarts and Harry Potter's first real friend. Robin Williams actively pursued the role of Hagrid, but was turned down due to Rowling's British only rule. And thank God, that would have been way too distracting. He's he's really short, Robin Williams. Yeah, I don't know how they would have done that. What would they have done to make him, yeah. Made him a troll or something? Yeah, no, that would have been, I, no, no. Coltrane was already a famous comedic actor in England, but other than Hagrid, my favorite role of his was as Russian gangster Valentin Zukovsky, in the Bond films, Goldeneye and the World is Not Enough, alongside Pierce Brosnan. He's such a weird character in that. Yes. Off the wall. Off the wall, indeed. You know, evil gangster with a heart of gold who ends up saving Bond's life at the you know cost of his own. It's a very, very great moment in The World is Not Enough. He also briefly played the weird horny guy who tries to hop in the bathtub with Beverly D'Angelo in European Vacation. You remember that? Of course, yeah. How could we, how could we forget? He also appeared as Dr. Samuel Johnson in Black Adder III, the man with the unfinished dictionary, one of my favorite episodes. And he played Hagrid in all eight films. Yes, he did. Tom Felton was cast as Harry's longtime nemesis, Draco Malfoy, pure blood Slytherin badass who comes from a family of Death Eaters. 
Felton remains good friends with Radcliffe, Watson, and Grint, and after Potter, he continues to have a steady stream of decent work, including a role in 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and a recurring role on Season 3 of The Flash. He also briefly played himself in 2010's Get Him to the Greek. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Be like sure to bring movie. along Professor Snape. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. Ah, <laughs> oh, so, so great. <laughs> what is this, Middle Earth? Just take me to the damn airport. <laughs> I love that movie so much. It's, it's, a it's funny, so funny. It's a funny movie. It's underrated. <laughs> no, I just hit the bongos into the African smile. <laughs> Furry walls! My dad loves your shit. <laughs> Matthew Lewis was cast as Neville Longbottom, a bumbling little guy who grows into a hero. After Potter, Lewis had roles in various shows like The Syndicate, Happy Valley, Bluestone 42, and Ripper Street. And he's coming to his own. I think he's just uh, not doing... I think he's doing a lot of modeling. Yeah. Which is kind of weird, considering how goofy of a kid he looked. Neville Longbottom. Yeah, the... Uh, in the books, it's never really brought up in the movies, but he could have been the chosen one, which is really fascinating. Like, the prophecy applied to Harry and Neville, and Voldemort picked Harry. Could have been him. Really weird. I think that Voldemort totally would have won if Neville was yeah. the chosen one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> James and Oliver Phelps were cast as twin jokesters Fred and George Weasley, and they've not really had much success outside of the franchise either. James Phelps is set to appear in Edgar Wright's new film, Last Night in Soho, next year, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. We've got Oscar nominee Sir John Hurt as Ollivander, the wand maker who gives Harry his wand. Hurt was nominated for his roles in 1978's Midnight Express and 1980's The Elephant Man. He's a longtime favorite of ours, and has appeared in such iconic films as Alien, 1984, Hellboy, V for Vendetta, he was the voice of the Horned King in The Black Cauldron, one of my favorites, and he portrayed the previously unknown War Doctor in the 50th anniversary special of Doctor Who, alongside previous Doctors Matt Smith and David Tennant. He played Ollivander in the first film and the last film. He died in 2017 at age 77 of pancreatic cancer, which seems to grab a lot of people. In the Harry Potter universe. Yeah, that also killed. That? Is that a trend here? That also killed Alan Rickman. I don't know. Uh, I think that killed David Bowie, too. Pancreatic yes. cancer. Yeah, that's correct. Jeez. John Hurt, man, was a goddamn legend. Oh, my lord. <laughs> so many films. The Elephant Man alone. Just <laughs> completely, you know, yeah. demanded your attention, you know. He's the guy who has the alien pop out of him for the first time in Alien, mm-hmm. which cemented him in horror history forever. Of course. Later parodying that in Spaceballs, which was just great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have a Spaceballs episode you guys can check out. Yes, we do. Bonus 16, I believe. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I loved him in V for Vendetta as the oh, I, sadistic chancellor. What an, what an awesome movie. It's a great movie. Underrated as hell. Yeah. And uh, Hellboy. Loved him in that, too. Uh, Hellboy's a fun movie as well. Dude's, yeah, dude rocked. Yeah, he... Tends to work uh, with people who are, you know, know what they're doing and have a good vision. And, of course, we love character actors like that. And he was working up to the day he died. Mm -hmm. Like, the guy just wanted to work. Churning it out. Yeah, big time. Richard Griffiths was cast as Vernon Dursley, Harry's cruel muggle uncle. Griffiths was another British character actor who appeared in a ton of stuff, including Withnil and I, Gandhi, King Ralph, The Naked Gun 2, Sleepy Hollow, and Hugo. He played Uncle Vernon in most of the Potter films, and he died in 2013 at age 65 of complications from heart surgery. 
Rest in peace. Yeah. And fucking Vernon, man. Dude, the, the Dursleys. Oh, God damn. Jeez Louise. They're infuriating, man. But I love the the theory that the reason they're so mean and evil is because they've been living with Harry there for 11 years and he's a Horcrux. Yeah. So his, like, evil inside of him is driving them evil, like the necklace did Ron later on. Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. It's like pulsing in their house. Yeah. <laughs> Fiona Shaw plays Petunia Dursley, Harry's cruel muggle aunt. Shaw has had recurring roles on the HBO series True Blood, the sci-fi ch- series Channel Zero, and the AMC series Killing Eve. In addition, she's done a ton of BBC stuff. And she's good. Fiona Shaw. She, I don't think... Petunia has a bigger role in the books. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. really get a lot of screen time in these movies. But I get that. You know, you want to get to the magical side of it. Uh, of course. Harry Melling plays Harry's stupid but mean cousin Dudley, and he lost weight so rapidly during the series that for most of his appearances, he's wearing a fat suit. Post-Potter, Melling has appeared in The Lost City of Z and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, among other TV appearances. He plays the uh, amputee in Ballad of Buster Scruggs in the meal ticket segment, which is so sad. So great, though. It's an awesome movie. Truly. Ian Hart plays Professor Quirrell, the nervous, stuttering Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who is later revealed to be the true villain and the vessel for the soul of Lord Voldemort. Hart appeared in Michael Collins, Enemy of the State, Finding Neverland, and has had recurring roles on Boardwalk Empire and The Terror. He's a bit part guy who pops up a lot. And he's actually... He doesn't really stand out in this one, admittedly. But that's because the character doesn't really get a lot of attention. Exactly. But that's the point, because you're supposed to be thinking, Snape's the bad guy the whole time. Yes. It's actually really smart misdirection. Especially for kids. Yes, extremely. No. I know. When I was a kid, I was blown away by that. Yes. Oscar nominee and legendary comedian John Cleese plays the Gryffindor ghost nearly headless Nick in the first two films. Cleese is a founding member of Monty Python and started all of their films, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Monty Python's Life of Brian, and Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, as well as the BBC series, BBC series Faulty Towers, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> so funny. I haven't checked that out yet. It's Oh, dude, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's only like eight episodes long, but it's exactly. flawless. I need to, yeah. Take me a night. Yeah. He received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay for A Fish Called Wanda, which he also starred in. He is one of the funniest people who ever lived, and he's been in so many bit part roles that he's worthy of his own episode. The guy is a goddamn legend, and I love him so much. He's yes. so funny. <laughs> Ugh. David Bradley plays Argus Filch, the non-magical caretaker of Hogwarts, one of the most inexplicable characters in the whole series. Bradley is known for playing oddly sadistic creeps like Walder Frey in Game of Thrones, but he's also portrayed actor William Hartnell in the BBC biopic An Adventure in Space and Time, later playing the first Doctor in an episode of Doctor Who alongside Peter Capaldi. Bradley's also appeared in Hot Fuzz and The World's End, and he had a recurring role in the first series of Broadchurch. He's a fantastic character actor who always delivers. Indeed. Oh, Broadchurch. Have you seen that? Oh, I've seen the first two seasons, yeah. Unbelievable. So, dude, that show was Stellar, intense. Stellar stuff. <laughs> Oof. Ah, Nella. <laughs> Oscar nominee Julie Walters briefly appears as Molly Weasley. Ron's mother, she becomes a much major character down the road. Yes. She was nominated for her performances in 1983's Educating Rita and 2000's Billy Elliot. And she is a great Molly Weasley. Oh my goodness. Really warm character. This is one of those where they hit it just right, hit the nail right on the head. Oh, right on. 100%. Finally, to round out some of the major players of the first film, we've got Warwick Davis as Professor Flitwick, Professor of Charms, 
and as the voice of Griphook the Goblin, who would return in the final Potter film. Davis is a character actor who's been around forever, starring in films like Willow, Labyrinth, and the Leprechaun franchise as the eponymous Leprechaun. His debut role was Wicket the Ewok in Return of the Jedi. He's appeared as either Flitwick or Griphook in all eight films. And I, yeah, Warwick Davis is the man. Oh my gosh. He had a show with uh, Ricky Gervais called Life's Too Short. Yes, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, you've watched that? Awesome. I've seen a couple of sh- episodes of that. It's, it's awesome. so funny. Hilarious. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone has an IMDb score of 7.6, Rotten Tomatoes score of 81%, and it was a massive success. Grossed $975 million on a budget of $125 million. For a time, it was the second highest grossing film of all time behind Titanic. Yeah. It was nominated for three Oscars, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Score for John Williams, who crafted yet another iconic movie score. John Williams. what That guy has some kind of... I don't know what it is, but he knows... Music. Name a movie, he might have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Jaws, Superman, Star Wars, uh, Potter. Potter. Fucking crazy. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah, no, he's insane. And yeah, there's some stuff in here, especially from the first one. Uh, It's like legendary. It's like so charming and so lovely. Uh, I, I adore it. I adore it the score of all of the films, but I, I really like it in uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Just because just cause there's so many iconic ones that you hear for the first time, you know. Oh, yeah. Just right, just right at the beginning when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing Dumbledore and McGonagall for the first time, you're like, man, what a, what a just magical moment, you know. It's really amazing. <laughs> and let's talk a bit about the first film, some of the highlights. What are some of your favorite moments from Sorcerer's Stone? That, that beginning. I mean, seeing Dumbledore, especially, you got to remember from my perspective, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm like, oh, Damn, look at these two legends, you know. <laughs> Richard Harris and Maggie Smith. That's who I'm seeing Yeah, above Dumbledore and then McGonagall. You know, I'm not seeing them as those characters. I'm seeing them as these actors. I'm like, man, this is nuts. Um, I, I remember that first time I watched it, and, and still to this day, uh, when I watch Sorcerer's Stone, just ear-to-ear smile anytime Coltrane's on the screen. Hagrid, you just you just want to give him a goddamn hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. <clears throat> and whether you um, like Harry as a character or not, you're just so with Hagrid at the beginning that you're like, I don't really care. He, take me to Hogwarts, man. Let's go. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all in. And he's a big part of that. I think that's like really important because those kids are, you know, we all know they're not the greatest actors yet. Those kids. Yeah. So you need guys like Robbie Coltrane, those important characters, Alan Rickman, once he gets uh, starts coming in, Richard Harris, to kind of carry them and guide them through each scene. You know. Yeah. There are times when it's it's charming what's going on when it's just them three on the screen, but it's like, all right, we need we kind of need like a leader here, uh, a veteran, you know. Yeah. Uh, so those are my favorite scenes is when that presence is there. Uh, when you first see Alan Rickman and he's in his class, his potions class, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> fucking Snape just he just immediately grabs your attention. You know, I, there's a lot of little moments. The movies the movie's fine. I would give it a seven out of, out of ten for myself, um, mostly off of. You know, sentiment. You know, it, it, I I do think it's probably the weakest of all eight, maybe the second weakest. Well, that's only because it got so damn good. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm comparing it to yes, the late you know, these ones that I like later on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it is hard. You have to be like you know subjective, but um. There. Yeah. Point being, there the little moments of chambers uh, or of uh, Sorcerer's Stone where there's that little character development. And uh, certain actors that hit the screen that I that I like my eyes just light up and I get really happy. So there, there's not a there's not any particular moment though from the story 
that like that like stands out to me. But do you have one? Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Um, I really like the scene at the zoo where Harry first the music so good shows right his magic power <laughs> and makes the glass disappear. Thanks. Yeah, the snake and yeah, I love that awesome. whole scene. It's fantastic. I love when Hagrid shows up to get Harry at the Dursleys like island, which after they kind of creepy they got away from yeah. the mail. <laughs> it's so great. He just bends Vernon's gun like yeah. nothing. Yeah. Oh, so great. You're a wizard. Hagrid's the only person, the only adult at the beginning who loved Harry without an agenda. Like, he was a good person. He was Harry's real friend. Well, yeah, he's, like, actually walking him through, you know, Diagon Alley. He's the closest thing to a father Harry ever had. Yeah. It's just, oh, man, brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, it's amazing. So great. I love the Quidditch scene. Uh, The first Quidditch match is gold. Of course it's iconic. So great. It's your first time seeing, (laughs) seeing the lads out and about. Yeah. It's wonderful. It is. It's very whimsical, and I do agree that the later films are so good that this has lost some punch. Yeah, I give it an eight, just again for sentiment. Just so great. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's there's some fun stuff in there, man. Wonderful. When it, and, and it's like, it, what I like about Harry Potter, um, the franchise, or one of the things I like about Harry Potter, the franchise, the films, is there is no weak point where I'm like, mm, I'll skip that one. Yeah. So if I'm doing a marathon, I don't start after. I, I start it with this one. I still watch it every time if I'm, like, watching them all. Yeah. I, I always watch it all the way through. I just do because there's, like, great aspects of it, and it's just there's stuff that's so essential to the story. Now, there's other franchises where that might not be the case, where there might be one where you're, like, <sighs> like kind of dreading that you have to like get through that. Yeah. This franchise, I don't feel that way about any of the films. They all have something to offer, and that's... That's fucking important. That is. Uh, it's like, it has, they, let's just say, out of the films, you know, out of the eight, it's a good batting average, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, yeah. Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> well done. I, th- I, the only thing I'm not that big a fan of in this one is their portrayal of Voldemort. Uh, the face on the back of the guy. It was okay. I thought the actor they got was a little hemmy. Yeah. And compared to Ray Fiennes later on, no contest. Doesn't doesn't age too too well. No, yeah. not yeah. great. He has yeah. a nose. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just it's a good movie. Next was 2002's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, also directed by Chris Columbus. This film has an IMDb score of 7.4, Rotten Tomatoes score of 83 percent. It grossed 879 million on a budget of 100 million, and. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on Chamber of Secrets? Chamber of Secrets was the the movie that I um, saw a little bit of as a kid that kind of made me question where I was like, would I like this? Because I, I think there's parts of this one, particularly, I don't want to jump, I guess, yeah, we'll just jump to the end. I really, I find it just to be comical, the, <laughs> the scene when Harry's like, of course, Phoenix tears have healing powers. But I like, I really, I really like the buildup of that scene. I just don't, don't like that. But that's I get, but that's you know, child actors. I know, I know, I know, I, I know. Again, my perspective is just, is just different than. And that's what I think about when I think about Chamber of Secrets. I think about that scene. I also think about who played Tom Riddle, and I. Mm. <laughs> really? Not for, not for me. Not that a fan. That guy's not for me. I thought he did a good job. I, yeah, I liked him. I don't know. I, do you, what's his name? I don't. I don't know that guy's name. I don't either. Yeah. I, not for me. But I. But I do. Do really. Really enjoy um, seeing a giant, giant snake. 
I I think that still kind of holds up. I think it looks pretty good still. I think this is the closest Potter ever got to a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, it's very dark. Like not not just dark content wise. It's it's like dimly lit. If that yeah. makes sense, you know, because they're, they're like underground a lot. So. Um, yeah. What, what about you? What, what are your initial thoughts on the film? I like the idea of a monster hiding in the walls, stalking students. I yeah. think I wish they'd gone the extra mile and actually killed somebody. Uh, yes. I think the stakes aren't that high. I wish this would have. Mm, I, I don't know how, but there's parts, aspects of that I wish would have come later on. Yeah. When they could, like you said, you know, get a little bit more mm-hmm. edgy. But in this one, you know, we learn that Harry has a connection to Voldemort somehow. Yes. He can talk to snakes. But it's his, you know, it's his choices and his courage. That's right. We get that. We get that really fun scene with uh, Draco and Harry fucking dueling. Yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, I like that. Yeah. yeah, and that's when you see uh, uh, Parseltongue. That's when you see Harry speaking Parseltongue. Yeah. And we learn a bit about who Voldemort was as a kid. This arrogant, you know, troublesome kid named prick. Tom Riddle who ruined Hagrid's life. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, prick. I love the whole scene with the spider, Aragog. That's freaky. Uh, that is a fun scene. Aragog's uh, voiced by Julian Glover, by the way, the guy who played uh, Grandmaster Pycelle in Game of Thrones and Walter Donovan in Last Crusade. There you go. So, cool cool guy. Awesome guy. Yeah, nice resume. Yeah. And uh, I love uh, Kenneth Branagh's Gilderoy Lockhart. He's such a bumbling fool. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's an idiot. Such an arrogant son of a bitch. Right from the beginning, man. Right when you see him. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I I like a lot about this movie. And I do I do like the, the you know obviously the the plot device of um, of Lucius fucking sneaking the book in. Yeah. You know yeah. that's fun. That's cool. And and it's always like one of those things if you're like watching you're like oh there it is you know it's like that moment it's like a turning moment of of the movie where it's like here we go what did he just do there? Uh, <laughs> and Harry Potter does that a lot. That's you know it has these. We've talked about it. It's pretty formulaic. It's like, here's this fun moment. Here's them processing it. Here's this moment, you know. Bah, 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 bah. And, but it's fun. Like, I'm along for the ride the whole time. And Chamber of Secrets no different. Um, personally, I give it a 7 again. Uh, those, these are my two lowest ones, would be the first two. But I still like them a lot. They're very entertaining. And I never skip them if I'm doing the marathons. So that's always good, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well... Some of the newcomers to the cast included Oscar nominee Kenneth Branagh as the yes. ineffective, fraudulent celebrity wizard Gilderoy Lockhart. Of course. Branagh was nominated for five Oscars in his career for various categories. He was nominated for his performance in 1989's Henry V and was also nominated for directing that film. He was nominated for Best Live Action Short Film for 1992's Swan Song. He was nominated for Adapted Screenplay for 1996's Hamlet. And finally, for his performance in 2011's My Week with Marilyn. He's a highly accomplished theater actor and director, having recently directed Thor, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, Cinderella, Murder on the Orient Express, and he's set to direct Artemis Fowl and Death on the Nile, which he also stars in. Kenneth Branagh is a versatile performer. He does everything. Indeed. And he's great in this. Bonnie Wright has a larger role as Ginny Weasley, Ron's sister and Harry's future wife. She appeared briefly in the first film, but she's really introduced here. After Potter, Wright's career has really slowed down. She hasn't really appeared to anything worth mentioning, which is a shame. Mark Williams plays Arthur Weasley, Ron's father. He's known primarily in the UK for his lead role in the crime drama series Father Brown. He's also made some appearances on Doctor Who and a host of other shows. And he's just great. Oh my god. Arthur Weasley is such a good person. President. <laughs> he should be the president, man. He's the, he's the most fair man of this entire franchise. 
They make a great minister of magic. <laughs> Robert Hardy appears for the first time as Cornelius Fudge, minister of magic. Hardy appeared in a number of BBC series, including Midsummer Murders, The Tenth Kingdom, All Creatures Great and Small, and Middlemarch. He died in 2017 at age 91 of natural causes. And I love the evolution of Cornelius Fudge. He starts out as just this kind of bumbling leader who's a friend to Dumbledore and a friend to Harry, and he turns into a sadistic tyrant. Yes. Yeah, but by, you know, by the time you hit Order of the Phoenix, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't stand this guy. That looming scene in Order of the Phoenix where Harry looks up to see like a big poster of Fudge's face. Dude, <laughs> it feels like 1984. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Toby Jones is the voice of Dobby the House Elf, who goes to great lengths to keep Harry out of school. Jones is perhaps best known for his role as Dr. Arnim Zola in the Captain America franchise, but he is in a ton of stuff. And he does a good job as Dobby. I love Dobby. Yeah. Awesome character. Dobby, is, uh, his role is substantially cut down from the books. Uh, yeah, un- understandable, because uh, I imagine that CGI is not the easiest to... Uh, Easiest to you know use like all the time you know yeah I don't know I think it was just they had you know so much more story to tell that they had to cut it somewhere yeah I mean they're they're, they're still like two and a half hours yeah and Dobby still does get his heroic moment in the oh, last yeah. couple oh, yeah he does get yeah so yeah he's actually kind of annoying in this one he, well he, Dobby is annoying you know just like his voice and you know but but you like love him he's like your little brother you're like ah whatever. He's around, you know. And then, like you said, he does have his moments of, like, wow. You know, he really stepped up there. So. Yeah. He's the re- like he's the reason Lucius nearly throws the killing curse at Harry at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which was crazy. I didn't notice that for, like, a, a few viewings that that's what he said. <laughs> but it's, yeah, how serious that is. Yeah. yeah. Like, Shit, dude, you almost killed Voldemort's whole plan right there. Yeah. <laughs> and Jason Isaacs plays Lucius Malfoy, Draco's arrogant Death Eater father. Isaacs is one of my favorite actors, and it's always exciting to see him. I love him as Colonel Tavington in The Patriot, one of the most evil sons of bitches in film history. Just He's a fucker. Oh, so great. That movie, I love The Patriot. Patriot's really good. He had a lead role on the series Star Trek Discovery. He played Captain Hook in the 2003 Peter Pan movie, and he's just a great bad guy and a great character actor. Yes. He has that look. It's yes. Just, yeah. And I love him as Lucius. So, Chamber of Secrets is, I think, the most whimsical of the franchise. There's a lot of goofy moments, a lot of uh, moments that kind of contradict later things that happen in the franchise. But there are some great scenes, like the whole bit in the Chamber of Secrets, I think it's brilliant. Yes. Big Snake and all that. Oh, fucking awesome. <laughs> and we, we, we talked a lot about Chamber of Secrets already, I think. So let's move on. Harry what you, Potter. What's your score for it? Eight. 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 Yeah. Solid eight. Nothing really dips below an eight for me on this franchise. From here on out. There's a few. I'm eight yeah. up from here on out. Yeah. It grows, but it never, I don't, like there's no sevens. Those are my, those are my two sevens. That's it. All right. So this ought to get interesting then. So from here, I'm up. Yeah. Right on. Eight and up from here on out. Very cool. Next was Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Whoa! Which marked a significant tonal shift in the franchise. Chris Columbus left to spend more time with his kids, and several directors were considered. Guillermo del Toro was offered, but turned it down because he thought the first two films were too whimsical, and he wanted to do Hellboy instead. And his Harry Potter would have been really weird. That's it, always something that we'll, I think we'll have missed out on. There's, there's eight of them. I really wish he would have got one of them. Yeah. Know? I really do. 
damn well, shame. But I'm not, I'm not complaining about who got the third one. So. Oh, no. M. Night Shyamalan was considered as well, but he turned it down to do The Village, and that would have been... I don't know what the hell... That I'm not down with. Yeah, I don't, I don't think M. Night... No. No. I, I think you should, yeah, keep doing The Village and stuff like that. Can you imagine, like, it'd be some weird... Like, Harry's been, you know, an alien the entire time or something. Hogwarts yeah, is on the moon. He would have, like, changed the book. Yeah. He would have done some shit. Eventually, the director that was chosen was Alfonso Cuaron, who would go on to win four Oscars. Two for directing for 2013's Gravity and 2018's Roma. One for film editing on Gravity and one for cinematography on Roma. He was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay for 2000's E2 Mama Tambien, Best Film Editing and Best Adapted Screenplay for 2006's Children of Men, Best Picture for Gravity, and Best Original Screenplay and Best Picture for Roma. Cuaron brought a dark mysticism to the franchise and made what many consider to be the best installment. Cuaron is a goddamn artist. That, yeah, to say the least. Oh my gosh. And his his vision of Harry Potter is so... It's a lot more modern than the first two. Yes. And it's very dark, but also very... Still kind of whimsical. Yes, yeah. He it's balanced very, it really well. Yeah, I, I enjoy Azkaban very, very much. I, it's my favorite one <laughs> of the franchise. We also get an introduction to fucking, you know, Sirius Black. Uh, my God, Gary Oldman. Uh, Remus Lupin, David Thewlis. My God, uh... Yeah, I'll let you get to it. It's just, it's just genius. This movie, is? this movie's awesome, and there's, we'll get to it. There's one scene in particular that's just like, ah, it's great, it's great. <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban has an IMDb score of seven point nine, Rotten Tomatoes score of ninety percent, solid. Grossed seven hundred ninety six million on a budget of one hundred and thirty million. It was nominated for two Oscars: Best Visual Effects and Best Original Score for John Williams once again. And here's some newcomers to the cast. The film opens with the arrival of Marge Dursley, Harry's fat and mean aunt who gets blown up like a balloon. Yeah. She's played by Pam Ferris, best known for her role as Principal Trunchbull in 1996's Matilda. And she was great as this horrible human being. Yeah. Who insults Harry's parents and gets blown up like a balloon. It's a yeah, great way to open Just treating him like a second-class citizen. It's so pr- And I love the Dursleys' reaction. They're not scared. They're just like, oh, now we got to deal with this. Yeah, more magic. <laughs> Oh, so great. We have David Thewlis as Remus Lupin, the new professor of defense against the dark arts, and probably the best to hold down the job in the series. Oh, no doubt. Thewlis is an accomplished character actor who's appeared in The Big Lebowski, Timeline, Kingdom of Heaven, the remake of The Omen, and recently as the villain Ares in Wonder Woman. He's just a rock star, does his best in everything. I fucking love David Thewlis. Yeah. And he is so good as Lupin, such a great character. Well, yeah, like you said, Lupin is like an actual teacher. Yeah. It seems like no one's actually fucking teaching the whole <laughs> damn time. And Lu- Lupin's like trying to give them hands-on advice on yeah. how, how to combat things but that will come at you. he's also a werewolf, and that, well, it <laughs> comes back to bite them. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I just I love Lupin's relationship with Harry is the heart of this movie, and it's because he knew their parents. I mean, he knew Harry's parents, and he's just a good person, and he wants to do right by his friend. Yes, and I love that. Oh, so great. Oh, and yeah, his involvement later on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Next, Michael Gambon replaces Richard Harris as the new Albus Dumbledore, and yep. it's never addressed in the film, which I think was the smartest way to go about it. Yeah, how can you? Yeah, exactly. Gambon is another accomplished character actor who appeared in films like Layer Cake, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, the remake of The Omen, again, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The King's Speech, and a fantastic episode of Doctor Who, and recently Judy. 
And he another another guy who just delivers every time, and he, he just keeps going. He's really good as Dumbledore. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome Dumbledore. Do you like Richard Harris or Michael Gambon better? I by default Gambon because of how many movies he's in and the movies that he was in. Yeah. It's a little unfair, but I mean, you know, Harris is a legend. True. But so is Gambon. You know. I don't know. It's tough. The role was offered to Ian McKellen. I, I know. Turned it down because after playing Magneto in the X-Men franchise at Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, yeah. he didn't want to play too many legendary, iconic characters. Well, yeah, what... After I, playing Gandalf, I couldn't I, imagine. I like that. I, I also, like, currently, um, something that I, I don't really like is, uh, like, Chris Pratt is Star-Lord and he's Jurassic World, and it's like, I, I kind of like to stick to one. Yeah. So you're kind of like the face of that, and that's it, you know? I agree. Uh, but... Teach his own, you know. Yeah. Money is money. However, you, I mean, looking back, Ian McKellen could have been... Oh, my Jesus Lord, Christ, he would have been so beautiful he as Gandalf. Perfect, perfect Dumbledore. I mean, but, Dumbledore uh, is what I meant. He is great, beautiful yeah. as Gandalf. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's wonderful. I hope he comes back for that Lord of the Rings Amazon show. There needs, I, if they're going to do any connection, it needs. It should be him. It should be Gandalf. Yeah. And he said he'd be open to it, which then, is pretty sweet. Then do it. I, I, they're going to fuck that show up. Oscar winner Emma Thompson plays Sybil Trelawney, professor of divination. Thompson won two Oscars, one for a performance in 1992's Howard's End, and one for adapted screenplay for 95's Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. She was also nominated for her roles in 93's In the Name of the Father, 93's The Remains of the Day, and 95's Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. And I love that she's the teacher who is making it all up. She can't actually do this. Divination is the one magic that's pretty much bullshit. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. But I love that everybody kind of thinks that. Like, in this world where you can, like, move things, you know, across the room with magic, you can open doors, you can kill people with magic, you can do anything with magic. Seeing the future? Fuck off. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and she's great. Emma Thompson's great uh, as Trelawney. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what a legend. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I remember when I first was watching these, and I was like, "Wait, who is that?" You know, because you know she's got crazy costume on and the glasses. It's like, who's playing that that professor? Oh my god, is that Emma Thompson? Yeah. And again, Jesus. at the time when I saw this, I didn't know who any of these actors were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I found this exactly. all out later, after the fact. Yeah, and I'm watching, and I'm like, "Who the fuck is that professor?" You know, I really couldn't figure out who it was for like the longest time. And then I was like, oh my god, that, that, that might be Thompson. And I yeah, looked it up. Sure enough. <laughs> the, the British legend herself. Timothy Spall plays Peter Pettigrew, also known as Wormtail. Uh, like, man, this is, it's just outrageous. Him, the, the Everybody's a goddamn legend. He's the true servant of Voldemort who's been posing as Ron's pet rat Scabbers, which never really comes up. There's a lot of questions there. Yeah. Spall is an accomplished character actor appearing in films like Sweeney Todd, Mr. Turner, The Last Samurai, Enchanted, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, The Damned United, and The King's Speech. Have you seen The Painter? The Painter. Yeah, with, with Timothy, Timothy Spall? No. That was a couple years ago. Random movie. I don't, I don't know much people who saw it. I saw Mr. Turner replays the... like. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. 
JMW Turner. You saw that? I did see that. It's really good, right? I hated that movie so what? much. I thought it was so Too boring. Too slow? Or, oh, okay, Very okay. boring. He's great. He is great, but I just I couldn't get into it. I didn't know what the hell was going on the whole time. That's fair. Okay. It's yeah, like you yeah. have to know everything about this guy's life. He is a painter. Yeah. <laughs> what year did that come out? Right? 2014. Years ago? 2014. Okay. Okay. I loved him in Sweeney Todd. Such a piece oh, of shit Lord. in that movie. Him and Alan Rickman together are just... Yeah. Oof. Beetle Bailey, I think his name was. Yeah. Oof. Then uh, with that cane, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he does a great job at playing scumbags. Yeah, he's good at it. <laughs> Damned United. He's awesome in that man. Right on, man. And finally, Oscar winner Gary Oldman plays Sirius Black, whom we're led to believe is a known murderer and follower of Voldemort, but that's not the case. And I think that's the smartest bit of misdirection that Rowling ever did. Oldman is one of my all-time favorite actors. He won his first Oscar for 2017's Darkest Hour. And he was nominated for 2011's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as well. But he should have been up for so much more. He's been ignored by the Academy for decades. Just to name a few, Sid and Nancy, Leon the Professional, Immortal Beloved, The Dark Knight Trilogy, Dracula, Hannibal, True Romance, and The Fifth Element. He's a goddamn rock star. <laughs> Is it White Boy Day? <laughs> yeah, I love Gary Oldman. He's awesome. He's, one, he's one of my... One of my- one of my favorites. Like, if I were making a movie, I'm like, I gotta find a place for Gary Oldman. One of my go-to guys. Like, anytime I see him in a movie, I'm immediately like, all right, this is gonna be good. I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. He's there. Yeah. The movie might suck, but he's there. <laughs> yeah, no, he's awesome. And Sirius Black's definitely my favorite character of the of the franchise. Books and movies. Yeah. He's uh, brilliant. I love this guy whose whole family is generations of evil. Mm-hmm. And he chose the right path. And, but he's got this, like, ah, uh, he's just got this edge to him where he's like, He's like, like, hmm. Like Lupin, I see, is kind of like, is like Martin Luther King, and Sirius is like Malcolm X. That's great. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he, he might need to take, taking that little bit extra action. <laughs> I, I, I just like, I, I like that. He's also, like, you think about this dude, he's probably a little bit insane. He's been in prison, yeah, for you know? 12 years. That's a long time. For a time. crime he didn't commit. Exactly. And this is Azkaban. Like, there's yeah. only one prison in this yeah. universe, which. I made a Facebook post about that a while ago because it really bugs me. Like, no matter what your crime is, you get sent to the crazy wizard prison where the Dementors suck out your soul. Yeah, it's like Escape from New York. It's like, you know. Murder, Azkaban. Tax evasion, Azkaban. Like, three strikes jaywalking, fucking Azkaban. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no middle ground here. You need minimum security, man. Ugh. (laughs) That just bothers me. But amazing. Yeah, I love Sirius has this, you know, he's a kind person, but there's also this darkness in him for being, yes. you know, nearly driven crazy. He's serious, yeah. Yeah, wonderful character. So the film, Azkaban is definitely one of the better movies, if you can say that. It's just so brilliant. Oh, yeah. It's wonderfully constructed. Alfonso Cuaron. I love the, the build-up where it's like fucking only halfway through the film where you see that have this moment where some of the best actors in the entire franchise are all on the screen together for the first time you have Lupin and Sirius Black coming back together and then Snape comes in and he's like ah I got you fuckers and then Harry's like what the hell is going on why like and then things are explained and so much so much if you don't know uh, for me I hadn't read the books you know when I first watched this movie I was like man I feel like so much information was just given to me in like a 10 minute window where where now I'm like, okay, Harry's a pretty badass character. You know, uh, this backstory and the stuff with his, his dad and his mom 
is huge for me as as some someone who started watching when I was older. That kind of development was big for me to like get behind Harry Potter. Yeah, and it's it, it caused me to root for him a little bit more because I was like I I kind of like this this like little gang that they had this the Marauders the Marauders map I kind of like all that. Uh, Midnight Marauders is one of my favorite albums of all time. Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> Uh, Marauders Matt, I love that. I love those characters, you know, Lupin, Sirius, and, you know, Harry's dad and Pettigrew. Uh, picturing them as, like, kids, and then here they are, like, way later on, and then Harry's involved, and it's just, it's just monumental to me, and it's a really cool moment. And it could have been kind of sloppy, or I think if Columbus had control, it wouldn't have looked as cool. Wouldn't have been as dark as you were saying, or you know, yeah. uh, Coron just handled it really well. And this is a film that needed that darkness because yes. you know, we're introduced it, to the Dementors. It needs the edge. Series Black. Yeah. yeah, we need the edge. We need that. Um, yeah, and for yeah, it's the third film, but it, yeah, it's my favorite. I, it's the one I go back to if I'm watching one of them. This is the one I go back to. It's so entertaining. I love the twist at the end when Dumbledore's like, Haha, you know what to do, you know. Uh, the whole time turn. Yeah, and Harry and Hermione are like, ah, fuck, you know, and go back in time. It's great. It's great. It's just very, very, very fun. Well, well done. And I think um, the introduction of those particular characters, Lupin and Sirius, is like amazing to me because I love those guys. <laughs> nine out of ten for me. <laughs> yeah. I also give this film a nine. I love the, like, is it the scene where we think Lupin is the bad guy? Yes. We think that he's yes. the guy who let Sirius Black into the cast because we're led to believe this whole time that Sirius Black is a dangerous son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Who's going to kill Harry the first chance he gets. And. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. And when Snape shows up and he's just, you know, oh, vengeance is sweet. Yeah. Like that old. Oh, yeah. God. I knew it would be I that took you in. Yeah, it's just classic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, so great. It's an awesome moment. Yeah. <laughs> I love when Harry jumps on Sirius and Sirius starts laughing. He's like, are you going to kill me? Like, he's nuts. <laughs> but, yeah. Ah. And but he's also so happy to and see him. Oldman is, is so good at playing unhinged. Yeah, yes. He's so damn good at it. Love him. Yeah. I love the the time, the, the time travel scene where they rescue Buckbeak and oh, how Dumbledore that's... is somehow in on it. Like, he's so powerful. He, like, transcends time. It's he's, never made clear like God. why, yeah. but he just yeah. knows crazy but it's awesome Dumbledore is Jesus yeah he just knows all Harry's a uh, giant Patronus he conjures in the in, at the lake legendary like, great scene it's the first I think it's the first movie where you just you see how powerful a wizard he is because mm-hmm. before this you don't really get that vibe at all oh no but in this one oh yeah this movie's the turning point yeah it's clearly the turning point of very like, much right, yeah one you know they're in you know hypothetically they're in eighth grade you know so it's like all right they're getting older it's about to be high school it's time to like actually, yeah, like you said, like realize my strengths as yeah. a wizard. So it's amazing. Very true. One of my favorite bits is uh, when Lupin becomes a werewolf. Oh, and yeah, I mean, yeah. Snape comes out and is like about to chide the kids for attacking him. He's pissed. He sees he sees Lupin's werewolf and immediately puts himself between the kids and, and the werewolf. Like right there, you see Snape's true colors. I love that bit right there. He's a teacher. Yeah, he's a he's a protector. Right yeah. there, he's like I. I have to set. I have to save these kids. <laughs> like, ah, so great. <laughs> yeah, it really is amazing. Little yeah. things like that are the why I love this franchise. Severus. So many little hints at what the, what's to come. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing in this franchise is unbelievable. Well, and you know, Severus's love for Lily ultimately is what like just drives him. Like for yeah. a lot of what he does, and he's like, Fuck, it drives that's... both his hatred of Harry and his desire to protect him. Exactly. It's which very is very conflicted. Which is just genius character. Yeah characterization and development. Uh, it's awesome. Yes, it is. Azkaban. 
Wonderful. Prisoner of Azkaban. Next is 2005's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, directed by Mike Newell, who was the director of Four Weddings and a Funeral, Donnie Brasco, and later Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Yikes! This film is even darker than Azkaban and marks a significant turning point for the franchise with the long-awaited return of Lord Voldemort. Keeps going off that vibe, that crong. Goblet of Fire has an IMDb score of 7.7, Rotten Tomatoes score of 88%, grossed $897 million on a budget of $150 million, was nominated for one Oscar Best Art Direction. And uh, I was reading into it, this film was supposed to be split into two movies, but they couldn't figure out a breaking point, so they just decided to run with it. And I'm glad they did, because I think yeah. breaking it in half this early would have messed a lot of things up. Oh, that would, I think that would have been a horrible decision. Yeah. What, so then they have nine movies? or, or yeah, Possibly. Or, or ten? Or if they've broken up more? Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I just like that Deathly Hallows is the only thing broken up. It's yeah. the only thing that deserves it. Yes. The book is fucking long as shit. And it's all very crucial to the story. Yeah, yeah. You, can't, a lot of, you can't cut any of that out. Well, a lot of part one is just kind of showing, like, yeah, just the magnitude of what's going on. Yeah. You know? Newcomers to the cast include Robert Pattinson as Cedric Diggory, Harry's rival in the film, but a decent guy that's tough to hate. Batman! Pattinson became famous for his role as Edward Cullen in the Twilight franchise, but has since done his best to distance himself from that role, appearing in indie films like Good Time, The Lost City of Z, High Life, Cosmopolis, and recently The Lighthouse. He's set to play Batman in the upcoming 2021 Matt Reeves film, The Batman. Oh, yes. I think he's going to be great. I can't wait. Yeah, he, Cedric is such a good character. He's just a, a good kid. Degree. Trying to get his degree. It's really all he is. Yeah. But he gets swept up in this bullshit with Voldemort. Ugh, poor guy. Dude, his death might be one of the most tragic. It's one of the most tragic moments of the story. I think it is. I wouldn't say it's the most tragic. My my pick for most tragic comes in Order of the Phoenix, and we'll get to that. But yeah. Yeah, 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 Cedric's yeah. is just so avoidable. Yeah, that's why I, he's so innocent. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. But he had to die for this story to, you know, he was he died so that you could believe Voldemort's a, a real threat. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, he doesn't even he doesn't even kill him. He just says no. Nah. Kill the spare and Wormtail. Timothy Spall does that shit. Yep. With ease. Mm-hmm. Makes you think a little bit. And the saddest part is nobody believes Harry. It's so sad. They're all like, he's making it up for attention. Like, he needs any more fucking attention. Exactly. That's what I always point out. I'm fucking dumbass. like, yeah. Uh, Brendan Gleeson plays Alistair Mad-Eye Moody, ex-Auror and new professor of defense against the dark arts. Of course, Gleeson is really playing Barty Crouch Jr., playing Mad-Eye Moody, which is a goddamn brilliant performance. Gleeson is another favorite of mine, appearing in films like In Bruges, Gangs of New York, 28 Days Later, Troy, and the Mr. Mercedes series, just to name a few. Love Brendan Gleeson. He's oh, so great. Yes. I like the Gleeson family. <laughs> yeah, they're all fucking talented. It's yeah, amazing. They're great. Just Irish royalty, as far as I'm concerned. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're so good. And uh, personally, if I had to pick a favorite, it's In Bruges. <laughs> Same. I, in Bruges is a ultimately entertaining. Yeah. Colin, oh, Colin's so, so great. good in that one. <laughs> If I was a farmer and retarded, I might like this place. <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> That's a great quote. Oh, God. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that quote. <laughs> I love when Brendan Gleeson's just talking to Ray Fiennes. It's like, well, you know what? You're a cunt. <laughs> just out of nowhere. And Frank's, or, uh, 
what's, I don't remember his name, but he's just, Ray Fiennes just looking at him like, you son of a bitch. Wouldn't that be funny if that would have happened in Harry Potter? <laughs> You're a fucking cunt, Voldemort. <laughs> sick of your shit. Jesus, can you imagine? Aren't you one of those half-blood bitches anyway? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, David Tennant plays the real Barty Crouch Jr., one of Voldemort's most trusted Death Eaters and son of Ministry official Barty Crouch. Tennant is, of course, best known for playing the Tenth Doctor on Doctor Who for three seasons, as well as playing the sadistic villain Kilgrave on Netflix's Jessica Jones series. He's a fantastic actor, seems like a nice guy, too. I want to check out Good Omens, his uh, recent Amazon series. But, uh, yeah, he's considered by many to be the best Doctor on Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And he's fucking great. He's so good. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and as Barty Crouch Jr., it's a brief role, but it's a memorable role. Mm -hmm. He really does a lot with that character. Yeah, it shows shows that uh, even for small things, you need someone with talent. Yeah. Like that little like weird lip twitch he does. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. I think that was his idea, and it turned into like one of the most important things. He needs in the something movie. to stand out. Yeah. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar nominee Miranda Richardson plays bitchy reporter Rita Skeeter. She was nominated for her performances in 1992's Damage and 1994's Tom and Viv. I personally loved her in Sleepy Hollow, and she is such a horrible fucking character in this. I hate her so much. Just manipulating everything. She's a much bigger character in the book, but uh, I'm glad they included her briefly. It seems to happen a lot with uh, the female characters. They're like they are. They do get way more to do in the book. Yeah, especially Ginny. Yeah, yeah. She's like carved down to like bare bones in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's really just there to be Harry's love interest in the book. She like she does things, which is just <laughs> not believable. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> Finally, Oscar nominee Rafe Fiennes plays Lord Voldemort, the main villain of the series and one of the best movie villains of all time. He was nominated for his performances in 1993's Schindler's List and 1996's The English Patient. I love him in the Grand Budapest Hotel, in Bruges, and Red Dragon, among others. Oh, yeah, I mean... He's the best choice for Voldemort. He's the only choice. And he delivers. Yes, he does. He's scary as fuck. The second we see him, like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. He's looking like a snake. Just oh, oh I love that. I love uh, the scene when he forms in Goblet of Fire, and he's like floating in the air, and ah, you almost cool. don't expect it to happen. You think something's going to stop this, yeah, but nope, nope. <laughs> no, Robert Pattinson dies, and Harry has there's just literally nothing you can do about it. Yeah, ah, it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. The whole movie's manipulated to get him there. So yes. crazy. So yes. brilliant. Goblet of Fire has like. It's easily my second favorite behind the final movie. It's mm-hmm. so good. Solid nine. And just a phenomenal watch. Like, just a fun watch. Yeah, it's a nine for me as well. I, I, I agree. The entertainment level is at a, is very high. The whole idea I, of the Triwizard Tournament was really cool. Oh, genius. I totally understand if someone wants would say that this is their favorite or they yeah. think this is the best one. It, it is, it's like action-packed. I don't know? think Caleb likes this one. I think he has... He just doesn't like it? Yeah, he doesn't like it. Why? I don't remember why, but he told me he's not a fan of this one. Uh, but he's a fan of the other ones. Yes. <laughs> All right. I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he told me that once. It's really good. Yeah, like you said, the, the try the try wizard thing. One thing that's always been funny to me about Goblet of Fire is that they they introduce at the beginning um, Quidditch to be this phenomenon, this worldwide phenomenon where there's a World Cup. Yes. For Quidditch, and who's playing in that is Victor Crumb. Mm-hmm. Now Victor Crumb. Okay, fair enough, cool. It's like the world's best Quidditch player. 
Uh, and then he shows up to their school for the Triwizard Tournament because he's a part of the school of one of the three schools that are there. So how old is he? Like six, 17 at and least. He's the best Quidditch player in the world? <laughs> Typically, in real life, if you're in the NFL, you're not also in high school. <laughs> Typically, well, well, like that would that would be like, yeah, that would, that would be like a kid who's going to steal, who's like a senior in high school, and people are like he's the best quarterback in the entire universe. Like, no, he's not. There's guys who are 35 years old or grown men who are playing. You know, I don't know how that it always fascinated me because it's like it's not a big deal. It really isn't. But I think about sports a lot. I like sports a lot, and I was just always like. Man, that guy must be headed for big things. Like, if he's that good at this age, like the, ce- the ceiling is like, oh my god. Or maybe Quidditch stops at a certain age. I don't know. I'm not sure. I just thought that was really funny. And then he just happens to be in one of the schools that shows up to Hogwarts, and they're like, "There's Victor Crumb." <laughs> and then he asks, and then he asks, so the best Quidditch player in the world asks a a, a sophomore to that dance. Yeah kind of weird <laughs> yeah there's a lot weird about crumb about crumb really that's it though because i've like gobbled a fire i've like well each harry potter film i've like watched like with like kind of an intense lens yeah and i want and that's really that's really my, my pick and nits that's my that's my only like issue and it's not really even an issue with the story it's just victor crumb what's up with this guy is he just a phenomenon like a 16 year old just fucking beast like i don't know because there there would be like articles about him you know if yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. It's really funny. I think he is the most famous human being on the planet in this universe. He's got to be. Yeah, I mean, like kids have posters of him who are the same age as him. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Unless he got, like, really held back. <laughs> like, what, what country are they from? Hungary? That's Bulgaria. Bulgaria, yeah. okay. Maybe there's different... Ad- I don't know. I don't know. It's really funny. But I do... I, oh, my God. I would love a movie, like... Uh surrounding around the Quidditch World Cup or something, you know, that would be fucking cool. Like an intense They made a video game about that. Yeah, yeah. I never never played it or never got a chance to play it. Yeah. That's always been fascinating to me though, if someone could like make a really like some sort of simulation of a, yeah, of a like really intense Quidditch match between like men, you know? You know they have like fantasy Quidditch leagues? Oh yeah oh yeah, like at A and at like at like colleges and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I went when I, at Texas State they had a Quidditch a Quidditch team. Yeah. That was basically it was soccer, you just held a broom the whole time. Yeah, so you like ride around on a broom yeah. and you're like running. And I'm looking at these ride, people ride around. I'm thinking like you people are out of your fucking And minds. they throw a ball, right? Yeah. Like, a, like it's they have a soccer ball and everything and I'm just like Wow. 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 I am dude, that's like that's like being, you know, registered as a certified Jedi. It's crazy. It's not real, folks. It's not real. What? Well, okay, at that point, just play without the brooms. Just run around and play handball. Just play fucking soccer. Or <laughs> just... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put it on your goddamn feet and play like human beings. You're not For wizards. For Christ's sake. Yeah, I really think that's... I think that's really weird. Like, well, and can you imagine, like, you know there's guys at, like, like parties who are like, yeah, like, I scored a lot of goals in my Quidditch match. Like... Ugh. <laughs> You're sucking your own dick tonight. <laughs> Jesus. It's just it's just sad, dude. The way people take this fandom and turn it into like their entire way of life. <laughs> it's just a movie, guys. It's freaky when you start doing shit like that. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, man. It's like people take it to the nth degree. Yeah, I love the movies. I do. I have a wand. It's a prop. <coughs> I don't think I'm a wizard. <laughs> I'm not running around on my goddamn yeah. broom. I'm not jumping off the roof trying to fly. Goddamn, it's just ridiculous to me, man. Uh, I agree. But yeah, Crumb is strange. <laughs> Got off on a Maybe in Bulgaria in this universe, instead of like military uh, conscription, they have like Quidditch conscription, where there you need you to do like four years on the Quidditch team or something. That's very possible. And he's just really good at it. Yeah, he's just a natural. Who knows? I think the uh, the scene where uh, Harry brings Cedric's body back is quite possibly the most heartbreaking scene in the whole goddamn franchise. He's back. Just watching everybody realize Cedric's dead and the like the happiness just die immediately. Whew. It's tough to watch that Unbelievable. scene. Unbelievable. And the guy who plays Amos Diggory, wow, dude. Like way to deliver. Yeah. Who is that? I don't know. I've, I'll look it up. Yeah, look him up. But he is just God he looks like Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Yes he does with his glasses. But <laughs> but I feel Dude, you feel his pain in that scene. Oh, that's why I thought it was brilliant to bring him back in the cursed child story, because he would, you know, be working on a way to fix that. So smart. Ooh, yeah. Jeff Rawl. Jeff Rawl. Props, man. Jeff Rawl. Well done with uh, yeah. Whew. Little to work with, but <laughs> well done. Love for sure. I guess that sums it up on uh, Goblet of Fire. Yeah, man. We covered I, everything we I, wanted I really, to cover. I really enjoy this one. Uh, again, it just keeps getting more intense, especially yeah. now that Voldemort is physically here. This is the one also where we first uh, start getting, uh, you know, hormones. The kids start falling in love with each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. Harry has a thing for Cho Chang, this Scottish girl who's dating Cedric. Because, <laughs> of, of course. course. Of course. <laughs> and you get the first kind of seeds of... Uh, sparks between Ron and Hermione. Yes. Which, they all have ha- terrible hair in this, too. I just want to mention that. Yeah, the hair always, like, goes with the time, and this was, what, 2005, right? Yeah. So. Harry looks older in Azkaban than he does in this one. Yes, indeed. So, all right, that about wraps it up on Goblet of Fire. Next was 2007's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, arguably the darkest yet in the franchise. It was directed by David Yates who would direct the remainder of the franchise. He was a British television actor who also directed 2016's The Legend of Tarzan. The film was written by Michael Goldenberg, who also wrote 2003's Peter Pan, 2011's Green Lantern, and he's set to write Artemis Fowl. And he... I'm not really sure why Steve Cloves left for just this franchise entry. I can't seem to find any information on that. I guess only he knows. Order of the Phoenix has an IMDb score of 7.5, Rotten Tomatoes score 78%, grossed $940 million on a budget of $150 million, cut quite a lot from the book, but still delivered a solid movie. Oh, yes. And I had issues with this one for the longest time because it cut so much out. But, you know, as I got older, I realized this is a pretty good movie. Yeah, yeah, you're, especially as you get older, you're like, okay, well, um, I, I, I don't want this to be three hours, so, okay, yeah. You know you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're like, I, I understand, yeah. Yeah. It, it does, does suck. You have to, you know, kill your darlings a little bit in your own mind because they're going to, they're going to essentially steal stuff from you. Yeah. Because you, you have it in your, you know, when you're reading, you have it in your imagination. Yes. This is what I see. This is what I want to see. And, uh, you know, when it's not there, it's frustrating. But I think Order of the Phoenix just 
gets better and better every time I watch it, rewatch it. Uh, there's things that kind of catch and uh, little 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 storylines here and there that I'm just like, oh yeah, that's that's a fun, you know, it's a methodical movie. I, I really enjoy it. Like you said, it's very very dark. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it gets to the, it. I really enjoy the like like political aspects of it. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, um, where it it starts reflecting things that have happened in our history, things that are happening currently, uh, how history repeats itself, and how power. Uh, that you know that that old quote where like when people don't realize the you know the power of love, instead they love power. That whole thing. It's like very obvious in order of the phoenix you know absolute power corrupts absolutely it that kind of sucks thing. yeah it's it's kind of like crushing to watch this movie but you're yeah. like but but it's so essential and especially once you see the entire franchise and read all the books uh this one becomes like one of your favorites because you 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 want to revisit it because you're like oh, i kind of want to revisit that that dark side you know it's a great idea to show like this world already suffered voldemort and to the idea that he could possibly come back would shatter everybody. So I get that Fudge, on some level, doesn't want to incite a panic, but the way he goes about it is horrible. It's wrong. It's yeah. terrible. He alienates Dumbledore and Harry and paints them as, like, raving as, lunatics. As lo- loonies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, it's, it's horrible. I beg of you, Cornelius. Yeah. <laughs> Newcomers to the cast included Oscar nominee Imelda Staunton as the most evil vile bitch who ever lived, Dolores Umbridge, the new professor of defense against the dark arts and ministry official. She was nominated for her role in 2004's Vera Drake, and in some circles, she's considered more evil than Voldemort. Yeah, no, she's my you-know-who. Yeah. Yeah, she's a goddamn sadist who tortures children. It, oh, she's the... Yeah. She's the reason this movie's so tough to watch. Yeah, I can't stand her. Oh, just her pinkness. Ugh. The way she Hold interrupts on. Dumbledore. Well, just well done. Her, yeah. that, that actress, she's props. She's on it. Yeah, and she, I love that she appears later on as they, another obstacle they have to overcome. Yep, and just it is heavily implied she ends up raped by centaurs, which is uh, unfortunate. Is it though? In the book, <laughs> God. I, I mean, she kind of tortured children. You want to hear something really fucked up? <laughs> I know mean, it's fucked, but so I was talking to my. We were, I was watching this movie with my grandma, and I uh, I mentioned that. And she immediately asked me, was there a baby? And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that. Now it's all I'm thinking about. Thank you so much, my mom. God damn. <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I hope not. God. <laughs> it's just not information I needed to have. In my head, it's not an idea I wanted to explore. <laughs> uh. But uh, yeah, in the in the book, it's it's pretty implied. In the movie, she just gets dragged away. Yeah, yeah. But uh, still satisfying, either way. For sure. Um, Ivana oh, Lynch plays. Off, yeah. <laughs> she plays Luna Lovegood, dewy-eyed Ravenclaw student who befriends the Big Three. She was a big fan of the Potter series before nabbing the role, but she hasn't really done anything significant since the end. Probably because this was such a big deal to her. And she's great. She's a great character. I think Harry should have ended up with her. It, it always made more sense. We've talked about that. Their chemistry is just way better. Yeah. Like, there's there's moments, yeah, like later down the line when like Harry kisses Jenny and you're like, nah. They have a lot in common. They they both lost people. Yeah. Like I don't know. I just feel like they work. 
Oscar nominee Helena Bonham Carter was cast as psycho Death Eater Bellatrix Lestrange after the original actress, Helena Helen McCrory, dropped out due to pregnancy. She would later be cast as Malfoy's mother, Narcissa. Carter was nominated for her roles in 97's The Wings of the Dove and 2010's The King's Speech. She's known mostly for her work with ex-boyfriend Tim Burton, appearing in films like Sweeney Todd, Dark Shadows, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, and Planet of the Apes. In addition, she's also appeared in Fight Club and a number of other well-known films. Yeah. She's, she's a great actress. She really is. I think she's kind of a bad person, though. Yeah, I've read that. I'm not really sure. She's a homewrecker. Yeah. Big time. Frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> but. I killed Sirius Black. Oh, God. That's the scene that, yeah, let's go, to, let's go there. That's the scene well, that is arguably the best. It's the most heartbreaking. 15, 20 minutes of the entire series. Sirius Black's sudden death is, it, it's the most heartbreaking scene for me. It's like the worst. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. <sighs> I still hate it. It's so unnecessary. going on without him, too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck, I want him there. Yeah. The only family Harry had left, gone like that. And just you could feel the anguish in Harry. It's, oh, yeah. he's already been through so much in this movie, man. Yeah, I know. And that's just epic, though, that, they're, that they went there cinematically, you know. Oh, yes. Epic. And then, obviously, yeah, Bellatrix running, trotting away, singing, I killed Sirius Black, I killed Sirius Black. And Harry tries to launch the fucking Cruciatus curse at her. Big yes, he character does. shift for Harry there. Yes. Fails though, because he can't. He doesn't mean it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't totally. It's not all. It's not totally there. So. You got that great duel between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Well, yeah. Right after that, yeah, is when we get one of the best just, scenes. It's just so epic. You know, the scale is uh, the so power high. in that ring right there. Yeah. Like to the most powerful pure good know. versus pure evil just straight up just boom. and it's Voldemort holding his own against the Elder Wand too which yes. is pretty damn in- exactly. impressive and then Harry just watching like yeah whoa. unable to do anything here you've got those uh, the occulimency uh, lessons between <coughs> Harry and Snape where Snape is the worst goddamn teacher in the world yes. <laughs> just invading Harry's mind to try to teach him how to steal it but he doesn't know how because Snape doesn't fucking tell him how <laughs> bastards Ugh. yeah this is a great entry it's, it's it's more of a political movie than anything else but it, it's a vigor, I think it's the most necessary of the series like if you were, were ever not going to skip one it's this I think you need a lot of this movie oh yeah yeah for it's this bigger part of the story extremely essential yeah I agree mm-hmm. wonderful uh, I'd give that an eight. Yeah, it's a solid eight for me as well. Yeah. Props. I th- yeah, I think we're going to be kind of similar. So what we have, I had the first two, seven, seven. You had them as both eights. Yes. Azkaban, we both had nine. Mm-hmm. Goblet, we both had nine. Yeah. And this one, we had eight. So here we are. On to Harry Potter. Another wonderful entry. And Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, 2009. Also directed by David Yates and uh, Steve Cloves returned for the screenplay. It also cut a significant amount from the book, but was a good entry nonetheless. We don't get all of Voldemort's origin story, which was a shame because I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Half-Blood Prince, IMDb score of 7.6, Rotten Tomatoes 83%, grossed $934 million on a budget of 250 It was nominated for one Oscar for Best Cinematography, and I am still bitter about 
the release date of this movie. It was supposed to come out November 2008, and it got pushed to July 2009, and I was pissed. And they told us like two weeks before it came out. I, oh, I wanted to kill somebody. Crazy. <laughs> do, you, do you know like what exactly the reasoning was that they moved it from like the, like holiday time to summer? They wanted a summer release, and I think they had some post-production stuff to do. I feel like typically, though, those Harry Potter movies came out in the fall, right? Or in the winter? Uh, some of them did. Uh, most of them were summer releases. They were? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Newcomers to the cast include Oscar winner Jim Broadbent, who plays New Potions master Horace Slughorn. Broadbent won for his performance in 2001's Iris. Broadbent also appeared in Moulin Rouge, Hot Fuzz, and he appeared in Season 7 of Game of Thrones as Archmaester Ebros. He's in a ton of stuff, always delivers when he shows up. My favorite is Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hands down. Inspector Frank Butterman. Come on. Butterman. Just, it's the only time I've ever seen him play a straight-up bad guy. Hot Fuzz is so much fun. It is so much fun. It's ridiculous. <laughs> You've got a mustache. I know. <laughs> oh my god, my cousin and I quote that all the time. It's classic. Yeah, we do the the rambling farmer a lot. We just isn't saying words. <laughs> that old part. That is so much fun to do. <laughs> yeah, Broadbent does a great job as Slughorn, the uh, only decent Slytherin in the whole damn series. Mm-hmm. Who just he collects famous people, which is a little weird. Yeah, but I, I don't know. He, he needs something to do, I guess. Everybody needs a hobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Helen McCrory plays Narcissa Malfoy, Draco's mother. She also appeared in The Count of Monte Cristo, The Queen, and she's a leading character on Peaky Blinders. Yes, fuck yeah. <laughs> she's fucking Tom Shelby's mom. Aunt, right? Aunt or mom or. Oh, yeah, their mom's dead. Aunt Polly. Yeah, because their mom's dead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. I'm so behind. I'm like two seasons behind. I've, I'm, I've, I've watched the newest one, man. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to go back. It's really good. After we lost Sam Neill, I was just like... Yeah, Sam Neill was probably my favorite aspect. Whenever, whenever, it was, whenever it was Neil and Murphy on the screen, I was like, yeah. man. I don't know. It's a cool show. It's really entertaining, you know? Yeah. Awesome dialogue. It's a cool... Oh, the Peaky Blinders. It's a cool look on a like piece of history I've never heard of before. Yeah. Which yeah, is pretty cool. Yeah, which is always fun. It's like just foreign, you know? Yeah. And Helen McCrory really kind of doesn't... She's a good character. She just doesn't really stand out a lot because I don't... There's not a lot of focus on her. Yeah. You do get that great scene where um, Snape and Bellatrix do the unbreakable vow. It's great. Where you kind of really start to question Snape's loyalties for the first time. And, he's, and he says, like, Bellatrix is, like, laughing about Dumbledore and he's like, he is a great wizard. Yeah. <laughs> It's really, yeah, it's amazing. That, that whole bit. Only awesome. a fool would question it. Yes. <laughs> Take out your wand. I was like, the, so good. in that scene where Snape just goes, put it back, Bellatrix. We mustn't touch what isn't ours. Yeah. <laughs> Only Rickman. Alan Rickman's a goddamn international treasure. Indeed. And uh, this film sees Harry get a hold of a potions book belonging to somebody known as the Half-Blood Prince. And in this book are extra notations and mysterious spells he's never heard of. And that really isn't nearly as explored as it is in the book. It's really important in the book. I know. It's kind of an afterthought in the movie. Which is ridiculous because, are you kidding me? Look at this. We get like a barely... cheat code. We get barely revealed that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. And it doesn't really matter. No, it's just it's just a cool moment of dialogue. That's it. Yeah, it's kind of a 
kind of a shame. I am the half god prince. And this movie is known. This entry is known mostly as the one where Dumbledore dies. Yes. Where Snape kills him, and it's very much a whoa moment. Biggest shock so far. Yes. Because up to this point, you think Snape's a good guy, and then this ha- this happens, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> I remember when we got this book. My mom read it first, and told me. You're gonna like beep brace yourself. <laughs> yeah, I said like, why does somebody die? And she's she went like, and I'm like, oh shit, who who dies? And she's no, like, I won't no. tell you, but yes. And so I kept reading, and I for some reason I was convinced it was Hagrid. I thought Hagrid died. I don't know why. That would be so cruel. And then it happened, and I'm like, oh, it's Dumbledore. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a big moment. Epic, <laughs> epic uh, scene. Yeah, you got Snape coming up like behind Harry, and he told you like. And then, yeah. And, of course, we get the introduction of the Horcruxes, which are the items that contain bits of Voldemort's soul, and in order to kill him for good, you have to destroy all of these items. And they could be anything, and they could be anywhere. Yes. And it's really difficult to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have you have Dumbledore telling, you know, telling Harry to do a lot of things in Half-Blood Prince and kind of guiding him, like, hey, get close with this uh, Slughorn character, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so he does and, you know, finds out about that memory, you know, where he's asking, like, what if you want to split it up into seven parts? And Slughorn's like, Jesus, mate, like, why do you want to do that for? You know, it's just like, you know, this Tom Riddle guy was just a creepy little fuck. He's just evil. Because the way to make a Horcrux is to kill somebody. Yeah, so he's like, you want to kill seven people? One is enough. And he's like, oh, it's hypothetical. It's for class. Like, what class? <laughs> fucking creepy-ass kid. What class? Uh, this, kid need, this kid should have been sent to some kind of psychiatrist a long time ago. But, All they uh, got is Azkaban. <laughs> that's right, yeah. No matter what. Uh, yeah, no, this, this movie's just, it's, it's, again, very essential. We just get, it just gets more and more important what's happening uh, content-wise. And what you're finding out, the information. I do wish that the film was a little longer. I'd be okay with it if they could dive a little bit more into how important that book is. I think you toned down the whole Ron Lavender thing. We don't need yes, all that. Yes, we, I know. Yeah. What a waste of time. I know. Ah, uh, that's man. This movie is like close. It's that would make it my favorite movie of the whole. Frame. If it did, didn't have that, and you added a little bit more detail, it would make it a ten for me too. Ah, that part's really annoying. Yes, it's it is. so like rom com, like teen, like well, we gotta have this in here, don't we? Like, no, you, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you should have left that shit out, man. It, it, it kind of fucks with the tempo of the movie as well. And you also, when you're looking back at the whole franchise altogether, I try to forget about that because. <laughs> Again, it, ru- it ruins the flow, the tempo of how, how dark it is and how evil things are getting and how scary things are getting. And I just don't like that that trope. That it's, No, it's not for me. I agree. There's other there's other movies that have that. I, I can go watch Twilight anytime on TNT every fucking Friday night. So I can't fucking stand love triangles. I hate Neither that can so I. much. I can't. They're, they really bother it's me. such a waste of time. Again, it's a trope that's overused, like, more than anything, you know, and I'm, I'm so fucking tired of it. And to have it in this is like, nah. There's so many other cool things you could be talking about right now. <laughs> uh, it's just frustrating. It really is because Half Blood is almost perfect. Yeah, it's a it just great uh, movie. it lacks that, like you said, it lacks that the book that uh, Harry finds. That's that that Snape's. Um, 
lacks lacks that detail and then yeah added some stuff in that was just clearly for entertainment. Got the for brutal wand fight between him and Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Where Harry uses that spell in the book that rips its Malfoy open. Yeah. Which again touched on way more in the book. Snape is like, where the hell did you get that spell? Because it's his spell. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wants to know what the hell's going on. That does not come up in the movie. Which Damn. is shocking. Like, how would that not come The up? whole fight scene at the burrow, none of that's in the book. Nope. You ditch all of that. You have room for all the stuff that did need to be there. That actually happened. Yeah. yeah. This one, I think, is the biggest divide between book and movie. And I give it an 8 because it is entertaining, but there there's so much that could have been done here. Yeah, it's a 9 for me. I really, really enjoy it, and I really like the tone of it, but there's just, yeah, again, there's just a couple of hiccups that, uh, that... To hinder it, yeah. I really like it, though. really enjoy it. Yes. Next, the decision was made to split the final book into two movies so as not to leave out any crucial bits of story, and I'm sure having two billion-dollar winners was a good move on studio's part. Yeah. 2010's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, also directed by David Yates. IMDb score, 7.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 77%. Grossed 960 mil on a budget of 250 it was nominated for two Oscars, Best Art Direction and Best Visual Effects, and the final two were by far the darkest entries, featuring a number of scenes that were straight-up horror. Like the snake coming out of the woman. The yeah. fuck was that? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Newcomers to the cast included Bill Nye as new Minister for Magic, Rufus Scrimger. Nye is another favorite of mine, particularly in his role as Davy Jones in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Legendary. He was great in Love Actually, Pirate Radio, and the Underworld series, just to name a few. Fucking love that guy. Yeah, yeah So good. I love him in Love Actually. Just throwing Christmas on a bunch of love songs. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and he's scary as Davy Jones. Such a cool bad guy. I love Davy Jones, man. Do you fear death? Yeah. <laughs> that weird like inflection in his voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he does that, but it's so... His. It's haunting. Daunting. I actually wish he had a bigger role in this movie. The character of Rufus Scrimger really doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. It, it's, it's there probably so he can... He's there for the will. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Domhnall Gleeson plays Bill Weasley, Ron's older brother. Gleeson is the son of Brendan Gleeson and has come into his own as an actor, appearing in films like Ex Machina, The Little Stranger, Mother, and the new Star Wars trilogy as General Hux. Mm-hmm. Definitely... Uh, an up and comer to take you know to keep a watch keep an eye on the next few years. Reese Iffens plays Xenophilius Lovegood, Luna's eccentric father. Iffens has appeared in films like The Amazing Spider-Man, Snowden, Pirate Radio, and he played Mycroft Holmes on the series Elementary. And I don't really like this guy, to be honest. Neither do I. I've heard he's kind of a prick. Does that surprise you? Not really. Not really. No. <laughs> I, he's my least favorite movie Spider-Man villain. Without a doubt. His Same. lizard is such a goddamn waste. Same. Both of those movies suck. Can't stand them. Amazing Spider-Man. There's not really any aspects that are good about them. They're a waste of money. And, and they're time. a waste of Andrew Garfield's talent. It's like, man, and Emma Stone's talent. What was he talent. doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What and, like, Dennis Leary and Jamie Foxx. And everyone in that <sighs> is good in other stuff, but fucking sucks in that. It's crazy. Ugh. So, Deathly Hallows Part 1, a lot of people have issues with this one. They think it's kind of plotting. 
they think that this, the, that weird dancing scene in the tent doesn't really need to be there, and I, I get that. Yeah, that's fine. A little Nick Cave. <laughs> it's weird. I get that. But yeah. It's two friends who are about to collapse, finding comfort in each other. I that's get that. That's all it is. Oh, it is. But there's also some great scenes in this, like the break in at the ministry is oh my god is great, fucking epic. <laughs> the um, I must not tell lies. Pew. The, <laughs> the the intensity of uh, of when Harry is like drowning in water, no. um, and when you know Ron saves him, is fucking intense as shit. There's a moment there where you're like, man, Harry might get hurt here. The right? darkness in the Horcrux scares me, man. It's yeah. pure, absolute evil. I want no part of this journey. No, this no, no, no. No thanks. I love that this, like, what makes Ron finally take that thing out is watching naked ghost Hermione make out with naked ghost Harry. That was too much for him. <laughs> That's, yeah, that was the turning point. Oh, but I like this. I think that it was smart to split them because it really does not leave anything out. No. Even characters who were important before, who we never saw, are now here, like to be important now. Like like Mundungus Fletcher. Exactly. Yeah, because you need him in this story. You didn't need him before, but you need him now. And I, I don't know. I like bringing Dobby back. I thought that was smart. I think that's a brilliant idea. I'm glad yeah. They, and, and yeah. It, yeah, like makes you cry. Yeah. Oh, dude, his. His heroic sacrifice, man. So sad. It hurts. So sad. Uh, Happy to be with my friends. Mm. My friend, Harry Potter. Dude, my heart breaks every goddamn time. I know. It's so sad. It is amazing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I... What, I think what pissed me off the most when I saw this was I knew I had to wait a year for the ending. Yeah. That hurt. I'm sure that was terrible. That sucked. <laughs> really, fuck, part two. Oh, boy. But... There are some scenes in this that are unforgettable, like when they go to Godric's Hollow and they meet Bathilda Bagshot, who's actually Nagini in, like, a human skin. That was freaky. Pretty fucking creepy, I would say. And you get the tale of the three brothers, where you are introduced to the Deathly Hallows, and that's a brilliant bit of animation. I love that part. That's one of the most rewatchable parts to me, especially Emma Watson's voiceover is, like, ah, it's amazing. Oh, yes. And the Deathly Hallows are the Resurrection Stone, which can put you in touch with your the ghosts of your loved ones but you'll never be able to touch them it's the curse the invisibility cloak which hides you from your enemies and the, the elder wand the most powerful wand in existence which makes the user pretty much invincible and that's what Voldemort's after and it's the wand in Dumbledore's grave it's his wand mm-hmm. and I love that you get a brief scene where Voldemort goes to a prison somewhere I don't think it's Azkaban and he meets Gellert Grindelwald yeah where is that no idea I would love to, yeah, to know more about that. No idea where he's in prison. Happening. I'm surprised he's not dead. People rarely, you know, get arrested in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Dark Lords. Dark Lord. But, uh, yeah, Grindelwald is uh, played by Johnny Depp in the uh, prequel series Fantastic course, Beasts. Yeah. And uh, it's just interesting to see Voldemort chat with Grindelwald. It's weird. Grindelwald knows who he is, too. Exactly. Like he's and- following his work. And just, yeah, know what we know now. Yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> yeah. And solid flick, I think. Eight for me. It's eight, yeah, eight for me as well. Yeah. Good, good setup. setup. Good setup, very good setup. And then, like you said, that anticipation. Just like, all right, here we go. Let's fucking do this. Finally, we have 2011's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. 
my personal favorite of the franchise, one of the greatest movies ever made. It's so epic. Uh, yeah, the scale, the quality. Oh, you yes. had it number two on your list I for did. Uh, 2010s. Directed by David Yates, it ends this incredible franchise with a bang. IMDb score of 8.1. Rotten Tomatoes scored 96%. Grossed $1.34 billion on a budget of $250 million. Was nominated for three Oscars, Best Makeup, Best Visual Effects, and Best Art Direction. Should have been up for Best Picture. It should have, yes. This movie is pure cinematic brilliance. It's so good. The music, Alexander Desplat's beautiful score, yes. it really sets the tone of this is the end. Yeah. And it, oh, I, I ranted a lot about this in our top ten of the 2010s podcast, but I'm ready to go again. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get my two cents in here. Oh, hell yeah. Jeffy Hollis Part 2 is, like, yeah, one of the most, fi- you know, finely, precisely, well done, you know, uh, finales. When it could have could have gone a lot of ways. I think it could have been very sloppy. Yes. Uh, they, you know, they did the two-part thing. It was very smart. Set this up for, for this to be pretty action-packed and pretty non-stop the entire time. And essentially a war movie. Yeah, uh, if you really look at it as just like what the Battle like, of Hogwarts, like what the genre would be. Yeah, you you would, you would say yeah, it's like a it's like a war film, and uh, the combat is really fucking good. Uh, watching, you know, watching Snape and McGonagall, uh, fucking, it's just electric. It's literally like watching electricity just fire back at each other, you know, uh, and it still it looks good. You know, it's all, it's almost been it's been eight years. Uh, and it still looks really good. Uh, stands the test of time. The performances are the best in this one because everybody's at their fucking peak. Uh, this is it. Everybody, you can clearly tell that like Radcliffe is like fuck, like this, uh, like he's pouring. He's 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 like acting good by the time Deathly Hollers Part Two rolls around. You know what I mean? Same with Emma Watson. Same with Rupert Grint. They're all like on a different level, and you can feel it. It's one of those. It's one of the rare finales where the hype actually delivered. And then exceeded. Yeah. Uh, you know, to point out other ones, um, I would say Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, did that exact same thing. Uh, you know, then there's like big stuff like Game of Thrones, no, Lost, no, like TV shows that kind of like don't quite, you know, don't quite have that capping. Breaking Bad had that. Breaking Bad has a really good ending. What are the franchises? Um, Star Wars, we don't know yet. Um, MCU, awesome ending. But, uh, I just think it's really rare that the finale is superior to the movies before it, you know? Yeah. Like, all of them. And this is that's what Deathly Hallers Part 2 is. It, everything's up to an, just another notch, you know? And I know you agree with me. I, yes. I know you echo these, these feelings. You probably just feel stronger than I do. And uh, speaking from someone who just watched these movies, you know, at age 19, uh, I, I was fucking blown away by this movie just as a standalone if, if it, it looks spectacular the score notches it up another you know fucking 20% you know and puts it through the roof everything everything's great all cylinders are hit and uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm like really glad I dove into this because the payoff and the reward is so fucking good oh yes yeah that 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 final battle scene is just it's awesome you're watching Hogwarts you know and when you're watching uh, these characters, you know, Neville and Seamus, all these kids that have been along for the ride, and you're watching them, and they're like, Hogwarts is, like, in a bad place, man, you know, like, ah, oh, it's been, it's darker than it's ever been, man, you know, and you're just like, oh, I've been here, like, I've been, yeah, I've watched all fucking eight of these movies, you know, and here I am, 
that's you know 18 hours of my life you know given to these to these movies and then some because I rewatch them and I revisit them I'm going to continue doing so I'm certainly going to show my daughter them and uh, I'm going to encourage her to read the books at a young age and I, I just think it's I think it's a timeless story and it's a huge part of our pop culture for a reason um yeah, I, I I love this I love this finale. I love this capper. It's a nine out of ten for me. It's solid ten, easy I, ten for yeah. me. <laughs> I would hope so. If it's your second favorite movie of the decade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just it's so mesmerizing. I I cry every time I watch this movie. It's just it means so much to me. <laughs> Wonderful film. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. No. No There's captions. No, there is nothing. Yeah. Nothing you can say about it. It's one of those special ones. Yeah. Totally. It's in that group, like with Return of the King. It's just like special. It's really yeah. special. It's got some incredible set pieces. I love going back to Gringotts. Oof. Oof. Uh, <laughs> getting to see the you know various Horcruxes and sh- destroying them. Going back to the Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. It's just it. It feels like fan service, but it all makes sense. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And you get that. What do you think of the uh, the epilogue? We can see them as adults putting their kids on the train. I could go without it, <laughs> but I'm fine with it. I'm not like mad about it, but I could yeah. go without it for sure. That was one of the first things J.K. wrote when she started writing the series, was that epilogue. Yeah, fair enough, then that's totally yeah. fine. Pretty cool. It's nice to know where you, like where you're going, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you just gotta figure out the journey. Yeah, that's the hardest part. <laughs> the destination's easy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like in my own work, I've known how I wanted to end that vampire oh, series God, from the yeah. beginning. Of course, but yeah. getting there was a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> the pages in between. Yeah, yeah, that's life. It is. That's life. When you watch The Wire, there's a famous quote from The Wire. Um, it's uh, Lester Freeman is talking, and he's like, he's talking to Jimmy McNulty, the main character, and he's like, "A life, Jimmy. You know what that is?" And he's like, "No, man. What is it? It's the shit that happens when you're waiting for moments that never come." <sighs> Damn. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> that's profound. Yeah, man. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so it's it's about the journey. It's about the pages in between. It's yeah. about all that the, the little stuff that you're doing. That's 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 really what's happening. And in this franchise, I thoroughly enjoyed every page. Exactly, I enjoy the journey. I love the destination, but I love the journey. I enjoy every aspect of it. Otherwise, there's no point in the eight films and these seven books if you don't enjoy the little things in between. Exactly. So yeah, that's what makes it a great franchise. Is that it, there is no to, again there's to me there's no quote unquote weak point. Um, I think, of course, there's movies that are better than others or books that are better than others because that's just how things go. Yeah. But overall, this is just an awesome franchise. It is. It really is. One of my favorites. J.K. Rowling managed to create a multi-billion dollar empire with this idea of a little boy with glasses who didn't know he was a wizard. Yeah. And it's amazing. She changed pop culture forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, And, and here's something that I, I find to be very cool about it is that it, it's taught you and I some, some British culture. Uh, we've we've watched actors that we probably wouldn't have watched if it weren't for Harry Potter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, of course, we, we would have found our way to Gary Oldman. But would we really be big David Thewlis fans if it weren't for Remus Lupin? Uh, would, would we really know who Maggie Smith is if it weren't for Professor McGonagall? Would we really like Alan Rickman? I mean, of course, Die Hard's great. But Snape, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is huge. It's like so essential to kids in America seeing this this British culture. And... and I, I like that. I think that's good. I think that's good to like to, to kind of learn different dialect and different how people speak. Uh, our English is not the only English. <laughs> that's always good to remember. You know, there's different ways to, to say things, and I, I think that's 
a big part of why I love it too is that it's it part of it's kind of foreign, you know, because you're you're in England the whole time. So that's really cool. I like that part of it too. Very true, man. Wow. Yeah, this is a hell of a hell of a franchise. It's never gonna die. This will no. be like we'll be talking about this for decades. Yeah. The franchise did continue with the prequel Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them from 2016. And that spawned a new series that is going to have its third entry next year sometime, or I think 2021. But that's for another time. We're not going to talk about that. Honestly, I don't like them. They're whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll get to those some other day. They're just not worth worth it to me. They're not, yeah. I couldn't tell you half the characters' names, which is pretty sad. They just don't have it. I don't know what, what it ha- what it is, but they don't have it. I like the cast. I just don't. I don't really get it. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I think it's weird taking it to America. I, I, yeah. yeah. I just ta- I like just talked about how cool it is. Exactly. <laughs> how cool it is to like be in London and then Hogwarts and you're around British people the whole time. And then, yeah, they just like, oh, Plus, let's, let's put it in New York. The yeah. Fantastic Beast series really doesn't have any kind of direction. They're just kind no. of winging it. And what do I care? Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them was a, a a book that Harry was reading that's referenced only in the first book, Sorcerer's yeah. Stone. Like, why? Do, what do I care? And his story doesn't even matter because it's about Dumbledore and Grindelwald's fight. Exactly. Like, why is Newt Scamander even here? Exactly. I, I yeah. That's not clever to me. That's yeah. not. That wasn't cool. There's so many other ways they could have gone. Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald was the first entry in this franchise I did not like. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been partial to the to to the, the Snape prequel. Let's I want to see Snape when he was like twenty. Yeah, let's do the the Marauders. I don't, I don't, yeah, or that. I just don't understand. You have all these incredible characters that we all already have a foundation on. What about fucking Vol- use one of them? Voldemort's first rise to power. Yeah, any anything, yeah. anything but what they did is my thing. It's like <laughs> you could even do like Arthur and Molly at in their twenties when they first got married and were having all these fucking kids. Like I would love to know what they were doing. No, not. <laughs> That's weird, but you know what I mean. Like, I want to know. They've... She was pregnant for like yeah, six years. Yeah, they've been, they've been, they've been good people for so long. I want to know how, like, how have they sustained this for so long? What, what, like, other work have they been doing within the community? Uh, yeah, Voldemort. I mean, Dumbledore is a kid. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, any of them? Like, I would be okay. serious. Black and all the. I yeah, think all the, the Dumbledore Grindelwald story is a cool story. They're just telling it really badly. Yeah, they're telling it from an angle that I just, I just don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Exactly, and it was like the first one um, from 2016 was like, what? It, it, what is this? Like a, a zoo movie? Because we we're just there's like a, just a bunch of like goofy monsters. Yeah, and I, it was like cute, the little like platypus thing that stole. It's cute, but I I was like I don't. What does this mean? What is this? What's going on here? Right? Like you're you're just entertaining me for the sake of entertainment. I don't like that. You need to tell me a story or do something. You know? How the hell is John Voight here? Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah not, not for me, not for me. So yeah, that's why we stuck with the uh, yeah, yeah the eight films so. exactly. And I think we did a we covered that big time very well. So let's take a look at what happened this week in film. Yeah, let's do it. Not a lot. I only have two things to talk about. All right, let's dig in. Elizabeth Banks has been tapped to direct the Invisible Woman, a film unrelated to the upcoming Invisible Man. And uh, All right. I don't like her anymore after what she said about like why Charlie's Angels didn't work. What'd she say? She said it didn't work because men don't go see action movies led by women. And personally, I think it didn't work because it sucked. Because yeah. Wonder Woman, Star Wars The Force Awakens, the Terminator franchise, all very successful, led by women. 
Yeah. So no, you just made a shit film. Yeah, exactly. The original Charlie's Angels. I was just about to say, yeah. Well, yeah, it's just so tough. Like directed at you and I because we're like huge Kill Bill fans and Kill Jackie Bill, Brown, Captain yeah, so Marvel. Yeah. Like it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't just who's she talking to? She just won't. You're talking to people who don't even go to films. Period. And how come like women didn't step up and go see? The, the movie because nobody wanted to see this it didn't look good it, it was looked a bad really trailer bad. it's a weird cast yeah no it doesn't look good no it doesn't look good and I'm not gonna see Invisible Woman because I don't like her anymore and are we supposed to like yeah yeah exactly like are we supposed to be like oh oh Elizabeth Banks directed it we gotta go see that like it's not who, who do you think you are you're not Greta Gerwig like who do you think you are dude you know I don't know I, I she's I think she's a very fun actress but that's, that's frustrating. Statements like that are frustrating. Especially, you and I are like, who are you talking to? Yeah, exactly. Because th- those people that you're aiming that towards don't even go to movies, period. <laughs> those fucking middle of, middle of America people who are like, oh, women shouldn't leave. They don't go to movies anyway. <laughs> so, I don't know who you're talking to, you know? Yeah. And next up, you may remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the Star Wars script that ended up on eBay. Well, it's been revealed whose that was. John Boyega... Ah, yes. Admitted he is the one who left his Star Wars script on the bed, and it ended up on eBay. So Finn fucked up. <laughs> the, like, second main character, yeah. Only time will tell if Disney will crush him out of spite. Pro- I don't know. We'll you see. Erase his career altogether? Yeah. <laughs> his IMDb will never read the Star Wars anymore. Nope. He's He might just disappear altogether. His IMDb page gets erased. We never hear from this guy again. What was that one movie he was in? <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? I just see them like reissuing Star Wars The Force Awakens with him completely cut out of it. Oh, man. See, I saw that movie Detroit. He was really good in that. Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. That was... God, that was an uncomfortable film to watch. Very sad movie. Very dark. But it's one of those that's like frustrating that people are like not going to go see it because they're like, oh, it's unsettling. It's like, yeah, but it's how it's kind of been. I didn't see it because it was very long. I oh, wa- you didn't go see it? I watched it on Oh, uh, oh yeah, on no, that's fine. No, I'm talking about people watching it in general. Like, oh, yeah. People are like, oh, it's too sad. I'm like... You need some of that sometimes. So was their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. so was that happening. Exactly. So that, yeah. Well, that's all for this week. That was This was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed our dive into the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, yeah. It had to happen at some point. Feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube. Leave some feedback or movie suggestions at filmgasm at gmail.com. Or you can comment on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And... Uh, yeah, we hope you keep enjoying this if you like it. Next week, we go back to horror with one of the freakiest monster movies ever made, the 1982 John Carpenter classic, The Thing. Oh, yeah. A group of Arctic researchers are attacked by a microscopic alien organism that can mimic any living thing it touches. One of our favorite horror movies and sure to be a very fun episode. With that, I think there's only one thing left to say. Mischief, Mischief Managed. managed.